It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, everybody. I uh, hope your Sunday's going great. You are tuned in to episode 29 of the Loaded Gloves Boxing Podcast. I am your host, Scott Jarvis, and with me this week, as always, are my co-hosts, Victor Atkinson and Michael Shepard. How are you guys doing today? I'm all right, man. <laughs> all right. And how about you, Michael? Doing good. Looking forward to uh, discussing yesterday's fights. Yeah, for sure, man. We got we've got quite a bit to go over this week. Uh so I'm expecting probably a full show today, the full 2 hours, uh but we'll see how it goes. Um let's just dive right in. Uh last night or yesterday morning, uh, if you're here on the West Coast or early afternoon rather, uh it was Alexander Usyk uh, taking on Murat Gassiev uh in the final match of the Cruiserweight uh World Boxing Super Series tournament. Uh and in that fight, uh, Alexander Usyk uh, made history when he out-hustled, out-boxed, and basically pitched a shutout against uh, a very frustrated <laughs> and somewhat limited Murat Gassayev. Uh In doing that, guys, uh, he also became uh, the first undisputed cruiserweight champion of the world uh, in the four-belt era, uh, and he's the first winner of the, the uh, World Boxing Super Series Muhammad Ali Trophy. Um, I thought the fight was a little bit disappointing um, in that I was expecting Gosayev to at least win three or four rounds, uh, but uh, as we saw, Usyk was on a completely different, you know, in another stratosphere uh, in terms of class. And, yeah, two <laughs> levels above in terms of skill and talent. You, you're absolutely right, Victor. Uh, it was, it, and in that regard, the fight was exciting because I mean, watching someone like Usyk apply that kind of craft was was just kind of enthralling, but. Uh, Victor, I'll start with you. What did you What did you make of the fight? Okay, so Gassiev did pretty much what I thought he was going to do. Usyk did pretty much what I thought he was going to do. It's a really, really tough matchup for Gassiev. It's, that matchup is damn near impossible, honestly. You have to do... <sighs> so, basically, because of the way he fights naturally, like his skill set, the way to handle somebody like Usyk is like to either stand your ground and try to like counter him, like punch at the same time as him. But that also means that Usyk gets to dictate pretty much everything. And somebody with that technical ability, if they dictate everything, you're not going to get a whole lot done. Or you can just try to go wild in there and hope for the best. That is also a bad plan. <laughs> so it's it's not really that winnable for Gassiev. I thought that Usyk was going to start off a lot slower than he did, though, but I'm glad that he didn't because it made it so, like, the tempo was always in Usyk's favor. Like, there wasn't a single point where Gassiev was winning that fight. It also makes it impossible for him to get robbed, which is nice. 
It sounds like you're talking, but I can't hear you. Can you hear me now? No. Can you hear a mic? No. Okay, so it's just... Can you hear me now? Yes, you fixed it. Okay, yeah, I don't know what happened there. I'll have to keep an eye on my soundboard. Uh, no, as I was going to say, just before we went on the air, uh, you and I were talking about the fight, and I, I was saying, uh, you know, when you turn in a performance or the type of performance that Alexander Usyk did uh, yesterday, it makes it virtually impossible to, you know, for the judges, for any judges to, to screw you out of a victory or even a draw. Um, you know, and then I jo- jokingly said to Michael, except, you know, unless you're in Las Vegas, um, <laughs> which we'll talk about prob- uh, late next month. But, uh, yeah, yeah, guys, uh, that was fairly impressive. Michael, what were your thoughts on the fight? I don't think there's any dispute. Obviously, U6 was the uh, best cruiserweight on the planet. He uh, sure. gave Gatia for a boxing lesson, really, and yep. I scored it pretty much a near shutout decision uh, for Usyk. And like like we kind of said last week, it was going to be a, like a boxer against a puncher. And as Victor just said, it was always Gassiev was kind of always up against it. Um, it just got stronger like as the rounds went on, just got busier and busier and ended up throwing three times as many punches, uh, 939 punches to Gassiev's 313. So like Victor said, yeah. it, was pretty, it was a pretty easy decision in the end for the, uh, for the judges. One, I think even Adelaide Bird probably couldn't get wrong. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, you know, I, I, I've always liked Alexander Usyk. I've always been a fan. Um, I was rooting for Gassiev, as you guys know and our listeners know. Uh, I just, I just thought, and I had hoped that that he would, I don't know, do a little bit better. Um, I expected him. Uh, I knew he'd be outclassed, you know, later in the fight, but I didn't think he would, you know, uh, like Victor said, Usyk, I didn't think Usyk was going to come out of the gate like that, uh, but he didn't just basically shut uh, all of uh, Gasayev's, you know, game plans down or, you know, crumbled him up and threw him out the window, so to speak. Um, now, with that said, guys, um, Usyk made it clear after the fight, immediately after the fight, uh, that he wanted to fight uh, England's Tony Bellew, Um and he said that if Bellew wouldn't come down to cruiserweight, that he would be more than happy to go up to heavyweight and take that fight there. Um, I took that to mean that, or I took that to basically mean that Usyk is moving up to heavyweight, which we kind of all knew and or expected uh, before this fight went down yesterday. Um, if that fight happens, and I think it will, guys, um, what, does Bellew have any chance at all I mean, does he have anything to offer uh, Usyk? Of course uh, not. Michael? No? Michael? Um, no, I don't think so. I think um, <laughs> I think they'll fight at heavyweight because Tony Bellew's fought his last couple of fights there, so he probably doesn't want to try to sure. fall back down to cruiserweight. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think that Usyk will, will win that uh, quite convincingly. Um, I think Tony Bellew, even though I'm British, I think he's... He's kind of looked out there, but really, I think when he retires and you look back at his career, the only real big names uh, on his on his resume that you'd probably look at and kind of remember when everyone's retired is probably Adonis Stevenson, and he lost that fight. He fought a, right. a shot Tony. He fought a shot um, David Hay twice and beat him twice when Hay went in there really just for paydays and and was injured. So I think mm-hmm. he's kind of got a bit of an overflated uh, opinion back in Britain. Um, <laughs> but the answer to the question, I think, yeah, I don't think he stands any chance against Usyk, really. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you, Michael. I don't, uh, 
I think it's an it's a really good uh, kind of introductory or tune-up fight for for Usyk, you know, to kind of test his test the waters at heavyweight um, or to kind of establish himself there. Um, but beyond that, yeah, I, I don't think Bellew has much to offer Usyk or you know any other any other top uh, athlete in the sport. Um, what, what do you think, Victor? It's dumb to me that Bellew even wants this fight because I feel like. <laughs> You saw what happened to Gassiev. You, I think even as a fighter, you should have an understanding of how good you actually are and how good your opponent is. There's no way Bellu wins this. Bellu should be trying to get like a fight with Tyson Fury or like something, get a British fight against Joshua. I mean, he would lose the Joshua one, obviously, but that's sure. a big money fight. Usyk doesn't bring that much money. It's good for Usyk. Usyk gets a win at heavyweight. Usyk gets like... I mean, Tony Bell is popular. Usyk gets a big fight for him. Usyk is a good fight for Usyk. It's an easy win. For Bellu, yeah. though, dumb as shit. There's no need to fight him. <laughs> yeah. Also, I, I don't even like the idea of thinking of this as like a good introduction to the heavyweight division. Like, it's it doesn't prepare him for actual heavyweights. Bellu is not a real heavyweight. Right. No, He's, and like, I didn't mean I didn't. Him, Oh no no I didn't mean you I meant like other people when they talk about this like oh yeah oh yeah, yeah, yeah. like no it's not this doesn't this does not do anything for like a Joshua this doesn't prepare him for anything at all for like the top guys ahead well, of No I agree and, and when I said introductory bout kind of for, more for more so for the public or for you know kind of like a like a PR type of uh, stunt but uh, yeah yeah Tony Bellew is not really a heavyweight like you said and he's not a good uh, barometer for you know how how Usyk might fare at heavyweight. Now, um, I'll, I'll just use that to segue into our next kind of subtopic here. Uh, and Victor, I'll go with you first. Um, how, after what we saw last night from Usyk, um, how do you think he does at heavyweight? Does he, does he have a shot against the top guys or does he, does he have to stick with some of the smaller guys to be successful there? Well, we've seen him against, your uh, your big super. Well, I guess you saw him against the super heavyweights when he was in the um, oh god in the amateurs and also that little mm-hmm. Russian thing. You know what I'm talking about? That little thing they have. It's not the World Boxing Super Series, but it has a similar title. Yeah, I know what you mean. They're, I know. What yeah, those things. About. We saw him against big guys there, and he did actually better than he does against smaller opponents. It's kind of interesting how it works out because like when you saw mm. him fight Machino, I think was his name. I don't remember. This has been quite a while. He. Didn't look too amazing there, especially in the early rounds. But when he's up against like his bigger, tar- bigger targets, he doesn't have those problems at all. It's kind of weird. But I think he'll do just fine against pretty much everyone. His work rate is way above what they're used to dealing with. His movement's better. Everybody in the heavyweight division suffers from like big technical flaws, which I think Usyk can exploit. He doesn't have a lot of power, but he has like respectable power. And that's pretty much all you need, honestly. It's not like he's going to be stopping these guys, but I think it's going to box circles around all of them, even Joshua, yeah. honestly. Yep, yep. I'm with you, man. I'm completely with you on that. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on Usyk at heavyweight, Michael? Similar to what Victor just said, really. I think he'd, some of this, he could start off with some of the smaller guys, some of your, your blown-up cruiserweights like your Tony Bellews. Um, Marco Hook would be another name who's kind of a similar height to him. He was also used to be a cruiserweight. And then move up to some of the bigger guys, um, as Victor touched on, I think if you go like 12 rounds and probably win decisions against a lot of the bigger, the uh, slower opponents, like a Fury, Anthony Joshua, Jarrell Millers, but mm-hmm. having the actual power to get them out of there, um, well, it's still to be 
to be seen. I don't know whether the power maybe maybe blowing up would give him more power, or maybe he'd still have the respectable power that he already has. But I could see him doing okay. We'll just have to wait to see, really. Yeah, I, after what I saw yesterday, or before I saw what I saw yesterday, I wasn't quite sure where where either you know how either guy would fare at heavyweight. But you know, after watching him just shut Gossayev down and out, um, I I even tweeted it out right after the fight that I would favor uh, Usyk over Joshua or or Wilder. You know, so long as as Usyk can take you know that kind of punch, you know, with that kind of weight and power behind it, uh, I don't think he has too much to worry about um like victor said um everybody including anthony joshua um in the heavyweight division is is fundamentally or fatally flawed in some regard um and and i think joshua being the best at heavyweight without Usyk having fought there yet um you know uh, joshua is shown to be stiff a little vulnerable uh, he makes a lot of mistakes um and i agree with you michael i think Usyk would just do what he did last night and, and, you know, move and stay on the outside and exploit these, these, uh, the we- the weaknesses these guys all have. Um, uh, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I'll pal- I-, I won't comment too much on that. I'll wait until, uh, he, the, the Bellew fight comes and goes. Um, but as far as the Bellew fight guys, uh, I did see that both Tony Bellew and Eddie Hearn said they wanted the fight and that Hearn said it wouldn't be too difficult to make. Um, so the rumor from what I was reading and hearing last night was that the fight will occur sometime in the, in the mid to late fall of this year. So uh, if that happens, that would be great. Um, I want to see, you know, I want to see the Usyk train keep on rolling along. Um, now, as far as Gossayev goes, guys, um, was, was all of that, that non-performance last night, can 100% of that be attributed to, to Alexander Usyk's, like, superb or supreme talent? Or was that... Uh, was that version of Gossayev just frustrated and, you know, maybe, you know, kind of turned off the part of his brain where it, that told him he could, you know, might be able to do something in there. Was he just kind of, did he just kind of give up and, and do less, uh, Michael? Yeah, I believe Usyk just uh, frustrated him. It's kind mm-hmm. of just a bigger version of Lomachenko, uh, kind mm-hmm. of just went in there, frustrated him, negated all the things that Gassiev does naturally. Um, so it got to the point where I think Gassiev just didn't really know what to do. I would have uh, liked <laughs> to have seen him come, kind of throw more caution to the wind near the end because I think yes. he was kind of obvious that he was down on down on rounds and he really had to just go for the knockout. So, you know, either suffered a knockout himself or just losing a 12-round decision, I think he should have at least gone for it, you know, with that much yeah. on, at stake to be the undisputed cruiserweight and obviously winning the Ali Trophy. It uh, would have been sure. nice to... Team, just to just to go for it, really. Yeah, I agree, and I don't I don't remember what round uh, or what rounds it was in between, uh, but I remember Abel Sanchez uh, kind of urging on, and even he was sounded discouraged. But he was telling his man Gasayev, you know, do you want me to stop this? Then no, then do something, yeah. you know. Uh, and, and I was Dude. that's go ahead, Victor, go ahead. The thing about that is that was early, too. That was like round four or five yeah. or something like that when he said yes. that. It wasn't like round 10 or 11. <laughs> right, right. Well, I, after after round two, Victor, I was I was kind of frustrated being, you know, a Gossayev supporter in this one. I just thought, man, this one's already over. And then when I heard uh, I was doing something else in between the, uh, those rounds when Abel made those comments, but I heard it, 
uh, in my headphones and I thought, oh my God, now the fight's, you know, this thing's over. This thing's done. Put a fork in it. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, I, I was a little disheartened by, by Gasseyev's apparent lack of, of, of effort. But I think, you know, like everybody else said last night, and you guys have kind of uh, said a lot of that, or most of that is just because Usyk just shut the guy down. I mean, he didn't have any, he, he couldn't even, I mean, he couldn't even plant his feet to, to let any shots go, and he, you know, didn't have a jab or anything. So, uh, yeah. you know, he was just getting tagged all night long. But, uh, Victor, did you have uh, anything else to add on the usyk Gasea fight or on either of these guys at heavyweight? Where do you rank Usyk on a pound-for-pound list currently after that performance? Oh, thank you for reminding me of that. I forgot to put that in the show's notes. Um, <laughs> I, I, I you, could give you. Yeah, I know. I know you guys do. You guys both keep me in check. Thank you. Um, but that said, I, I couldn't give you a solid, a solid number on my list that sits only in my head. Um, mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a part of me, a part of my brain that says this guy's accomplished more or at mm-hmm. least it looks that way in paper, than Gennady Golovkin has. He's the undisputed yeah, cruiserweight champion dude, in the world. It's not <laughs> even like might. He actually has. He, the only guy you could even argue that has accomplished more is Lomachenko, yeah. and that's really just because he moved up. That's right. really it. As well, far as what, what Usyk has actually done, Usyk has accomplished more. He's done it on the road every single yes. time for the most part. Yeah, and not only that, Victor, he's, but uh, he's done it in, what, 15 or 16 fights now? Exactly. Um, he entered a, 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 t- a tournament where you can win everything or lose everything or fade into obscurity. Uh, he fought the very best in his division at a time where it was pretty strong. Uh, and he made history here, you know what I mean, by being the first four-belt era uh, undisputed cruiserweight champion of the world. I mean, somebody else said, oh, you know, somebody on Twitter uh, last night, to kind of put this into context for me, said, just go ahead and give Alexander Usyk fighter of the year for 2018 right now because there's nothing. There's nothing left in this year. No fight scheduled, nothing rumored, nothing on paper, nothing being discussed that would put anyone in Usyk's league in terms of accomplishments, at least for this year. So um, as far as pound for pound, I, part of me wants to put him above Golovkin. Another uh-huh. part of me says slow down a little bit, not yet. Um, I think he's definitely in, the, in, in, in my top four or five. Um, and I think anyone who doesn't put him that high in their list uh, is obviously on crack or, 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 or something, there's something wrong with him. Uh, where would you put him at, Victor? So, at the absolute least, number three. Okay. No question, at the least he's number three. I'm thinking about putting him really at number two behind Golovkin, but it's weird with Golovkin. For Golovkin, it's really just because of the years of dominance more than anything else. It's not like I'm looking at his press like two or three years, and then he's... So, like, by that logic, it basically means that Golovkin can't be dropped down until somebody beats him or something like that. Right, It's like stationary number one for me. That's kind of how I felt whenever Lomachenko beat Lenar. I was just like, well, I'm not going to put him above Golovkin because nobody's not Golovkin down especially yet. He's still there. You kind of need years and years of what Golovkin did, and these, they're just too new right now for you to put him there above him. Right. But I have right. him above Lomachenko because hmm. the thing with Lomachenko at 130 is that he never actually beat the number one or number two since we just like elevated him to number one for obvious reasons. He never actually beat the top guy there. 
He beat the top guy at 135, though, which is a huge, huge thing because I didn't consider Mikey Garcia the top guy there because he kind of didn't fight there, honestly. So right. in doing that, it meant a whole lot. But Usyk beat Gassiev. He beat Brietis. He beat – got the belt off of Glowowski. He beat Hook, which Hook was kind of like faded at that point. But still, that mattered a whole lot. Did it on the road. Did it in a very short time frame. Yeah. I have him at – yeah, I'm keeping him at number two. Okay, uh, well, what about uh, what about you, Michael? Where do you, where do you put Usyk at on your pound for pound list? I would have him in my, in my top five. Sure. With, uh, Triple G, Lomachenko, Mikey Garcia, probably Terence Crawford would probably be in the top five. But yeah. whereabouts exactly? I don't know. It just depends, you know. The pound for pound list kind of one of those things that changes week to week, month to month. Every time someone fights, you kind of move them all around. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he would definitely be in my top five. Um, hopefully, you can see him fight again this year, and hopefully, he'll be active now. He's kind of become to everyone's uh, attention. I hope he's not one of those guys that just ends up oh. fights, fighting once a year. Now he's kind of getting that respectable money. I believe he earned around four million just for the final. I think he got like a two million bonus or something. So sure, he's earned some I, good well, money in the mm-hmm. World Boxing Super Series. Yeah, I think that would be kind of the kiss of death. Death, <laughs> for me, uh, as, as, a, as a boxing fan or a fan of the sport, you know, we and we've talked about this a, a, quite a few times on and off the air, I want to see uh, the most impressive guys in the sport also be the most prolific and most active. Um, you know, I, I think Usyk, uh, if he moves up to heavyweight or after the, the, the Bellew fight, uh, he'll remain, you know, active three or four times a year, I think. At least until he gets to the to that point where he's maybe taking on the Joshuas or the Wilders or you know what I mean, whoever's at the top spots by the time he gets there, um, I think and I think he'll do that just to build his heavyweight profile. But yeah, th- I'm not looking forward to that. You know, and and all fighters go through that when they hit the very you know upper echelon of the sport in terms of uh, recognition and, and their their money making potential. They kind of tend to disappear. You know, even if they don't want to. Um, Golovkin being the most recent example of that. Once he got involved with Canelo, it was, I mean, we all kind of moaned and groaned because we knew what was coming. We knew he was going to become a part-time fighter. So um, hopefully that doesn't help, uh, happen to Alexander Usyk anytime soon. Um, and I'm, I'm anxious to see Murat Gassayev back in the ring too. Uh, so hopefully he remakes his return either at cruiser or heavyweight later this year. Um, now, before we move on to the HBO card, guys, um, I wanted to get your thoughts uh, or ask you guys, and Michael, I'll ask you first, uh, what grade would you give the World Boxing Super Series Cruiserweight Tournament uh, on an A through F scale? The B. Uh, it would have been an A. Um, it would have been an A. Just I didn't like the mess up that we were all talking about um, to do with the, when the final was going to be and that it not really getting promoted. Um I know obviously it got delayed due to injury, but then there was talk of them replacing who was going to be in the final and everything like that. So it, sure. it was a B, but it was nearly an A. Okay. And how about you, Victor? Same thing as Michael, actually, a B. I don't like the idea of them changing the location of the fight. That is my biggest gripe. That is just not fair to Usyk at all. It's weird as shit. It's dangerous. It was just mm-hmm. odd. That's a terrible, terrible decision. <laughs> Okay, that's fair. Uh, I would give it like an A minus, B plus. 
Um, I kind of go back and forth between those two. Um, my biggest gripe with the cruiserweight tournament was that uh, that oops, one second, guys, my soundboard's screw going screwing on me again. Mm-hmm. There we go. Yeah, my biggest gripe with the the uh, WBSS cruiserweight tournament um, was not so much lack of promotion, but uh, it was the uh, lack of availability on American TV. Um, I know that that in fights past we had. Uh, in the Cruiserweight Tournament, they aired them on, on the uh, World Boxing Super Series YouTube channel, Facebook page, and through their Twitter feed. Uh, this time it was on Cloud TV, and I went there to get, uh, I told my wife, I'm going to sign, hey, I'm going to sign up for this, this, do the free trial, and I get there, and it says uh, that free trials have been suspended during fight week, and I thought, fuck, man, what better way to encourage piracy than to, you know, put your channel behind this paywall temporarily for this fight um you know i didn't want to pay 10 bucks just for one fight so uh i just went uh i was gonna i was actually gonna stream it and then somebody sent me a uh one of my facebook friends sent me a link uh to a foreign uh foreign youtube channel that was streaming hd quality so i watched it uh in 1080p but uh, that I was think my biggest. Watching the same stream. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sure. Yeah, it came from. It, I, I'm surprised it didn't come from one of you guys, or I didn't find it <laughs> myself. But uh, one of my Facebook buddies was like, "Hey, dude, you got to watch it here. Don't watch those choppy streams." And there it was. So um, that, but that was really my only gripe. Um, I can see why you guys would be upset with the, you know, the the fight or the final getting moved around like that. That kind of sucks. Um, but all in all, I think. I mean. It, the cruiserweight aspect of the the World Boxing Super Series for me, I know a lot, and, and I know a lot of other people represents the very best of boxing. It's what boxing can and should be. Uh, it's what boxing does when it operates properly or on all cylinders or almost all cylinders. Um, the super middleweight uh, tournament that uh, just had its final announcer, kind of a pre-announcement. Um, that one uh, I'll probably give a much lower grade to, and we'll talk about that after it concludes later in the in the summer or in the fall. But um, all in all, I mean, I, you know, the World Boxing Super Series is awesome. I mean, if you're a fan like, you know, three of us or anybody that listens to our show, I mean, how can you not be invested in, in, in a tournament like that? Uh, presentation is like top notch. You know, commentating's good. Scoring and judging have been fair and accurate. Um, you know, guys are taking risks. I mean, what's not to love? Uh, but well, with that said, uh, go ahead. The scoring wasn't really fair, and it wasn't part of the tournament. But in the Chudanov fight, that was really, really awful <laughs> scoring, which was also part of the World Boxing Super Series. It's not, not in the tournament, but it was their event. So, right, that was one of the worst decisions I've seen this year, actually. Yeah. Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Yeah, I was just kind of more or less referring to the cruiserweight aspect of it, but. I mean, it's boxing, so every, I mean, every, every, every you know, it's never going to be perfect. It's never going to be exactly what we want. But given the given the level of uh, corruption and incompetence in the sport, I mean, what you know, can we really expect anything less? <laughs> um, now, with that said, guys, uh, let's move on to last night's HBO card. Uh, the opening bout on that card um, was the uh, WBA regular junior lightweight. Uh, champion Albert Machado defending his title against uh, Ghana's Rafael Menza uh, in a 12-round bout. And now in that fight, uh, Albert Machado won a unanimous decision against uh, what I saw as a very inexperienced Rafael Menza. Uh, Michael, I want to get your thoughts on this fight first. 
uh, for this one. So take it away. Mensa was uh, overwhelmingly outclassed in his first fight. Uh, I think we kind of t- touched on it last week that he'd build up, padded his record, uh, fighting over in Ghana, mainly in Africa. Sure. Uh, compiled quite a glossy record against a low-level opposition, uh, but somehow was deemed a mandatory challenger. I don't know how he managed that, but uh, I, I thought it could have really have been finished earlier. He was just kind of like a walking punch bag the whole time in there. Uh, he <laughs> lost. I think, I think he lost every single round. Uh, I'm not too sure why his corner didn't really pull him out and just save him for another day because I think everyone could kind yeah. of see that he was losing every round and he was either going to get knocked out or just lose 12 rounds to zero. Uh, kind yeah. of lucky that he didn't really get, get hurt. Um, I think Machado looked quite well, but it was kind of hard to judge due to the kind of low level, level of opposition. Um, mm-hmm. He looked quite good with Freddie Roach as his new coach. Um, I'd, kind of, I'd like to see him out again. Trying to be interesting to see who he fights next time, and uh, they can yeah. maybe see him headlining a HBO card in the future. Okay, uh, how about you, Victor? Well, as far as I'm concerned, Machado is the super champion and not the regular champion. I know that's his title, but it's dumb that he's the regular and not the super <laughs> since he did beat Corrales and Javante Davis beat pretty much no one. They made up the belt, gave it to him, and then they elevated it to the super. It was. A very strange thing. I'm gonna talk about this every time it comes up. It, it was dumb as shit. It will always, always bother me that that's the route they went with that one. But matches like this bother me too. Just I don't see the point of them. Like what were we even? Um, I forgot this guy's name already. Actually, let me scroll down to the Rafael Menza. Yes, like he hadn't really fought anybody near this level before. What are we supposed yeah. to get from this? This is only going to go one way. Or actually, it's no. Well, not only one way. It was either anything like this or where he would get seriously hurt in the fight, which thankfully that didn't happen, but that's a huge risk you have to take when you make a fight like this. It's just, what is the point of it? I don't understand why we even do this in the sport. This only happens in boxing. No other sport does anything like this. Not MMA, not (laughs) no other combat sports, not like regular sports like fucking basketball where it wouldn't even matter if you did something like this. They're like, oh, yeah, you're so much better. I'm not going to have it's like a sanctioned match against this. Right. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you on that, dude. I, you know, I, I kind of, before this fight and even watching Machado's last fight, which was almost a year ago, I think it was nine or ten months ago, um, I wasn't too high on the kid. Um, I definitely think he's got some punch there. Um, Freddie Roach will be, you know, can probably is probably capable of helping anybody or helping anybody improve their game or adding dimension to their game. But um, against a guy like Menza, um, you know, Machado had him really hurt early in the fight and put him down. Menza, you know, was saved by the bell. And then when he came out, uh, I don't know if, if, if Machado hurt his hands or something happened, but he just couldn't get his guy out of there. And I thought that, you know, so like, like uh, Michael was saying, Rafael Menza uh, was boxing in Ghana and not getting paid. You know, it was just kind of street or gym fights. And it's like somebody with that kind of level of inexperience, uh, you know, should be should be on the canvas at some point if if Machado's what uh, HBO and, and his handlers want us to believe he is. Um, but and and you guys correct me if I'm wrong here, but I, I saw uh, Machado missing a lot and getting really sloppy uh, throughout the duration of the fight. Um, you know, we, we, we see guys a lot that are econ- very economical. 
um, with her punches. You know, very accurate. Uh, Machado doesn't look like he's one of those. Um, I thought he was a little wild at times, especially uh, when he throws, you know, his looping looping hooks and stuff like that. Um, did you guys see the same thing I, I did? And, and do you guys have the same kind of concern that I do that maybe Machado isn't what uh, they want us to think he is, Michael? I think Machado uh, had moments where he kind of looked like a little bit sloppy. Um, but mm-hmm. I think due to the fact that I think he realized quite quickly that Mensa wasn't really going to trouble him, that he was probably right. tra- you know, just trying to kind of load him up on his shots to try and get him out of there, which I think led to him obviously missing sometimes because he wasn't you know, taking his time and choosing and making nice, crisp shots. He was just loading up and hoping to try and get Mensa out there for the crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that maybe could be one of the reasons. Uh, it's kind of hard to judge because Mensa was so many levels below, so many levels below. Yeah, <laughs> that is true. Now, what about Victor? Uh, Machado hadn't fought about nine months before uh, he beat Mensa last night. Um, do you think his handlers are going to capitalize on this momentum, or is he going to kind of do the PBC thing where he just kind of disappears for almost another year and then has to kind of reestablish himself, you know, within the, within the boxing public. Well, I mean, they didn't capitalize when he beat Corrales and the falsies yeah. you mentioned were also there in the Corrales fight. So we've always known who he was. I don't sure. know why the HBO team decided to start to like market him as a killer. That was strange. Well, well, I mean, and we'll talk about this more when we talk about the next fight. Um, and I'm sure you guys skimmed through my notes. So you know what I'm about to say, but, the HBO commentary, you know, for every fight is is hyperbole, and its comparisons to all-time great fighters or legendary fighters. So, you know, yeah, I mean, with that with Machado, I mean, you know, they do that with everybody. It's it's oh, he reminds me of this or in this guy or this fight, and it's like no, you know, get over yourselves. It's nothing on that near that level. Um, I normally don't listen to the commentary. I don't like being liked yeah. the whole time. Yeah, yeah, it does get old, and and the more the longer you watch the sport, and the more you educate yourself on and about the sport, the more that the more that kind of commentary really gets under your skin, and sometimes it just makes you laugh. But yeah, I don't know, uh, Michael. The one other thing I wanted to ask about Machado, um, there were, and I'll, I'll go with you first on this. Um, there were a number of people last night mentioning the name Javante uh, Davis, uh, Tank Davis, as a possible future opponent for. For Machado, um, do you do you give Machado much of a chance in that fight, or do you think Tank just kind of takes care of business there? If Tank takes the uh, the training camp seriously and goes in there like he did in his in his last fight, where he looks quite quite good on the HBO, uh-huh. I can see Tank. I see Tank taking him out of there. I don't think Machado would be able to yep. put up with Javante's um, power, especially Javante's uh, body shots, but. Um, just Javante Davis is similar to Broner, where I just if he takes himself seriously and fulfills his talent, he's going to be a really, really good prospect. And um, you know, he could be a multi multi weight divisions kind of obviously obviously the lower end. But it's mm-hmm. just trying to keep his head straight and keep him away from Broner and the party life and all those <laughs> sorts of things that are going to affect his career in the long run. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm kind of with you on that. I I, I don't think Machado. Uh, like Victor said a few minutes ago, I don't think he's, you know, what, what they want us to think he is. I think he's a serviceable guy and he'll be a solid guy, you know, as the years go by. But I don't, I don't quite think he's on that, that world or elite level. 
Um, and I don't think a ceiling is that high either, but we got to wait and see. Uh, now, Victor, the one last thing I wanted to ask you about as it pertains to Alberto Machado is uh, how do you think he fares not only against Davis, but against his contemporaries in, in, in his division like Vargas, Roman, or you know, even Lomachenko. Obviously, Lomachenko destroys him, but uh, how does he compare to, to the rest of the division in terms of skill and talent? Okay, well, in terms of Davis, it's 60-40 in favor of Davis. It's not okay. that skewed because Davis also isn't that good. He has a lot of power, but that power also comes from the fact that he's basically a weight bully. He's, like, skill-wise, he's not impressive. Neither is uh, Machado. So it's 60-40 with the power being, like, the biggest takeaway from that. Machado can crack, too. We don't know how well Davis can take a punch. So 60-40 is how I see that one. Uh, Against... uh, Shit. Not Francisco Vargas... Who beat Francisco Vargas? I'm out of it today. Uh, I'd win. In his last outing? His last fight? No, no, no. When he, uh, who took his belt? Like, immediately after the oh, title God. fight. I don't, I don't even remember. <laughs> Miguel Bachel? Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Yep, okay, so, yep. Bertel is probably the best guy at 130 right now. He beats the fuck out of Machado right now. Um... That's a matchup that's pretty interesting, just for the sake of it happening, you know, just to prove sure. that Burchell is the best guy there, like I think he is. Machado obviously loses badly to Lomachenko. He's just, <laughs> he's like, it's pretty average, but yeah, a lot of the guys in that division are also pretty average or just not very good to begin right. with. They're just being told they're good, like Davis. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> well, a lot of record padding and things like that. A lot of protecting goes on. Uh, you know, yeah. that's par for the course. But um, with that said, guys, Ooh. I want to move on. To what I, I would like to see, though, I bring this guy up all the time, but Tevin Farmer versus uh, Machado will be interesting to me to see if Farmer can deal with the power and also, like, neutralize him. Because Farmer makes some mistakes in there a lot of the time, but he also has moments where he looks very technically skilled. So it'd be nice. Mm-hmm. To watch yeah, that, that wouldn't be a bad fight. I wouldn't mind watching that. Um, I'm just kind of hoping, you know, whether a guy is, is elite level, world level, or, you know, somewhere, you know, down the line, down at the bottom of the barrel, um, you know, if they're exciting, I want to watch him fight. I like, I like Machala just because he's got some pop and he's aggressive. Um, so I hope that his handlers don't keep him on the down low, you know, for, for too long this time. Um, but with that said, guys, I uh, want to move on to the main event, which was, for me uh, was the most exciting fight of yesterday's boxing uh, oh, yeah, across definitely. the board. Uh, we had uh, the WBO junior middleweight uh, champion Jaime Mungia making his return and defending his title against Liam Smith on uh, HBO in their main event. Uh, now, in that fight, Jaime uh, defended his WBO 154-pound title uh, and beat a very tough and very game Liam Smith over 12 rounds. Um Michael, I'm going to let you start with this one. Um, what did you make uh, of uh, the fight, and were you surprised by uh, either guy's performance? I was surprised uh, Liam Smith. Um, I thought he started well. Actually, exchanged a few times early on against Mungir until until Mungir's power just kind of took over. Um, I thought 
I expected Liam Smith to get knocked out. I think we all guessed last week when we did our predictions <laughs> that we thought in the middle round yep. that he would just, he would just wear him down. I thought Mungia looked good. The only thing I don't like about his style for him is as I think that because he kind of stands there and likes to trade and you know was caught, kind of telling Liam Smith, "Come on, let's have it, let's have it, let's just fight it out." That his career, if he carries on like that, his career is going to be short-lived. I think that it's just going to take too much punishment over um, over time. Um, when he fights some bigger some bigger punches, it's obviously going to sort of affect him. Uh, but he's he's very fan friendly. Um, sure. Technically, he's kind of slow, just slow footed, cuts the ring off, kind of like Golovkin, just tries to corner you and just unload. Just doesn't really matter where he hits you, just all over the body. The power eventually is just going to wear you down. Mm-hmm. All right. Oh, Victor. Uh, same question for you. Well, Jaime has a lot of flaws there, both offensively and defensively. I don't know what you want to talk about his offensive flaws. He is not very accurate, honestly. He makes a lot of mistakes there. He strays low sometimes, and I don't think it's intentional. It just ends up happening. He it maintains a good body attack. That's a good plus for him. Mm-hmm. For the fight itself, Liam Smith roughed. Jaime up a lot, which is really good. Elbowed him a lot, got away with it, head-butted him a lot. That is a good way to deal with somebody that's a lot more physically imposing than you are because it makes you have more weapons to use against them, basically. So, like, although they have more of a natural damage output than you, you're adding, like, extra variables to that they have to deal with. So they can't really do exactly what they want to do. Liam Smith definitely should have attacked the body a little bit more. That was his biggest downfall. The first three rounds were competitive, and then after that, it was all Hamey. It was not yeah. close after that. Yeah, yeah. I gave I gave Smith the first three rounds on my card, and then and then uh, Mungia swept the rest of the fight. But I gotta tell you guys, uh, you know, I was you know, I don't think Liam Smith is a very good or very you know he's not a great boxer by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, but I was surprised. And and I had seen the flaws in uh, Jaime Mungia's game before this fight, just as you did, Victor, and I'm sure Michael did as well. Um, but I expected him to have a much easier time with Smith, uh, and then get him out of there, you know, middle of the fight, six, seven, something like that. Um, but what really surprised me was was how how often Liam Smith was able to touch Mungia, like on the chin, you know, and all over the face and the head. Uh, he he had he had Mungia walking into a, quite a number of counters. Uh, if I remember correctly, um, mm-hmm. and then I ke- I kept telling myself if Smith had any kind of respectable power that this fight could have played out very differently last night um, because uh, like we were just saying Mungia has a lot of flaws. Uh, I see more on defense than I do on offense, um, and that might just be because I was because Mungia is an offensive guy. I tend to not watch that as much as you know the things that you know I'm, I'm looking for holes in other areas. Um, but I did notice, Victor, on offense, uh, and I hadn't planned on talking about this, that Mungia, uh, when he throws his hooks and stuff, both hands are way down by his waist. When he's yeah. throwing, he's not he's not defending with his other hand. And I've never been trained to fight like you have or like these guys have, but I know just from watching all these years, these decades, that when you throw those those power punches, you're supposed to be defending with, with the other hand or, or, you know, stepping away or using some kind of angle or something. Uh, Mungia comes straight forward, goes straight back, and, Control you know. Control is complete shit, too. Yeah, yeah, and he's, I noticed he's very sloppy on offense at times. Um, yep. 
I mean, he's super exciting, but I got, I got to tell you guys, I think his defense just plain out sucks. Um, and I know I took some heat from some members of the media yesterday and, and other fans on Twitter last night, uh, because they're like, oh, he's only 20, 21, 20 years old, whatever he is, he's going to get better. Well, yeah, he'll probably get better. But when I see what I saw, like from Mungia last night at, at this point in his career, I just, I don't see him forget becoming a defensive wizard. I don't even see him becoming a defensively responsible fighter at any point in time. Um, you know, uh, that would require a huge change of style uh, because he's completely lacking in the defensive department. But um, now with that said, guys, uh, and, and Victor, you let me know whether you disagree with me or not. Um, I kind of view Jaime Mungia as another James Kirkland or, or Alfredo Angulo type of fighter um, where their offense is very fun and exciting to watch, but they're fatally flawed. Uh, so they're, you know, they always come in to hurt their guy, but they're either going to do that or they're going to get knocked out themselves. Um, w- is that an accurate assessment of Mungia on my part? For right now, yeah, sure. but I don't see any reason why he wouldn't improve. He's 21. He doesn't have a whole lot of experience, professional or amateur, to my knowledge. I'm pretty sure he doesn't have like a huge amateur career. He doesn't box like it. He does not box like someone that has an extensive amateur career. So I'm just going to assume that he doesn't. Those things get ironed out the more you box. I mean, I don't expect this guy to box like this for his entire career. If he does, he's going to have a very short career, but yeah, I just don't see yeah. it happening. I think by the time you see him box for like another two years, you're going to see some vast improvements. He's probably not going to be a defensive wizard or anything like that. I don't see why he would, but he's going to be able to control distance a little bit better. He should be able to have a better jab. He should be able to do certain things on offense to mitigate his defensive flaws, help better protect okay. himself on offense because like he gets caught by these counters often because like you said, he's dropping his hands low. Once you fix that, you're going to get countered a little bit less. Once you learn how to properly guard while you're actually, when you're able to alternate between the offense, and the defense, or, like punch in a way where you're not completely wide fucking open or control your distance a little bit better. So you don't just miss wide and countered or just do little basic things like that. Once that's fixed, you're going to get hit a lot less. And his defensive flaws are going to be a lot less noticeable. Okay, yeah, that's that's fair. Uh, now let me ask you, Michael, with with Victor having said that, uh, can Mungia uh, improve to that point or to that? Can he get to that level that Victor was talking about with his current team, or would he have to switch to a trainer like a Freddie Roach or somebody you know that that places an uh, an emphasis on offense? I believe he can he can get to the next level as long as he takes his time and as long as they don't rush him put him in sure. there with any dangerous uh, dangerous opponents that are going to just knock him out and dishearten him. Um, I believe his trainers at the moment, he's got his, his father and uh, isn't he training with uh, Oscar De La Hoya's old coach, uh, Alcazar, is I it? think so, yeah. Yeah, so I, as long as he listens and he seems kind of a, a nice kid, not someone that's going to get an overinflated ego or he's not going to listen or anything like that. So right. as long as they take baby steps and just kind of move him along slowly, let, give him time to learn and don't just chase the money because he's only 21 years old. He's already a world champion. You know, time's on his side. So it'd be good to see, you know, I think he's signed to Golden Boy. I don't know whether they had more than just that one fight. So, you know, they need they need somebody else to go alongside Canelo. As long as they don't, yeah. don't rush him and throw him in there like they did with Saddam Ali, just throw him to the wolves and get someone knocked out. Sure. 
Now, uh, what about uh, wh- where do you think uh, Mungia goes next, Michael? Um, because he's basically the epitome of a prospect champion. You know, I, I don't remember who coined that term, but we live in an era where uh, prospects and, and, and fringe contenders, you know, get a belt really early in their career when they're still really green or young and developing. Um, how slowly can they move this guy, Michael, before it kind of, you know, kind of blows up in their face or, or even before he gets caught with a, man, a dangerous mandatory? See, that's, that's his biggest problem. Um, being 21 years old and how raw we all just kind of agreed that he is. Uh, everyone's talking about him fighting someone like Jarrett Hurd, which is kind <laughs> of a similar... It's a similar that's not an unwinnable matchup for him, actually. That is definitely not unwinnable for Mungia. The similar right. styles, aren't they? Like, uh, like you guys just said, you know, they just kind of take a punch to give a punch. They are very similar. Sure, sure. Um, who do you, where, where do you where do you where do you think he goes next, Michael? Who does who does he who does he target next? All roads seem to lead to Jarrett Hurd, but if I was him, um, I would try to go for someone kind of easier to try to uh, learn and you know try to evolve my style. Sure. Someone like a Sam Eggington from Britain because he seems to have a high ranking, um, so he'd be yeah. an easier fight and he could kind of pick up a win and, you know, give himself another year of learning and then go for like a Jarrett Hurd after that because uh, that was a mandatory fight. So you should be, yeah. obviously be able to maybe take his next opponent and not have to take another mandatory straight away. All right. Well, uh, I remember I think it was Max Kellerman said last night that uh, when, he, when they were chasing the Golovkin fight uh, this past May uh, after Canelo dropped out, uh, that his team said they were very confident of, of them being able to win that fight. Like watching Mungia last night, and even the, the, the you know the performance before that, like it, I kind of just chuckled and laughed at those comments because uh, it's I mean that's just absurd. But you know Can- somebody like Canelo or Golovkin, or or you know I think even even Charlo or, or Hurd at this point in Mungia's career is a really bad move. Um, I think he gives Hurd a, a decent battle, at least for a few rounds, um, before Hurd, you know, kind of takes over with experience and, and, and whatnot. But I'm hoping the one thing that scares me about Jaime Mungia is not the fighter himself. Uh, he seems pretty grounded, like you said, Michael. Uh, but I'm worried that his team is may, may, might be chasing the almighty dollar more than they are, you know, uh, they're concerned more with that than they are protecting their fighter or moving their fighter properly you know what i mean i th- i think if 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 one of those guys came calling and said hey we, you know we want we want mungia you know in september or october or whenever november that they would jump at it and and you know i think that would be really bad because uh, another comparison and i think mungia could could be better than him down the line is uh like a david lemieux you know he's he's all offense he's all power um and i you know i don't see a lot a lot of a very deep game, you know, in any of those guys that we've, we've talked about, but, uh, yeah, I don't know where Mungia goes next, but, um, hopefully his team moves him properly. Um, and I also don't want to see him move too slowly either because, you know, I mean, that's a huge buzzkill if you're a boxing fan. I mean, the guy's exciting, you know, and, but you can only watch him, you can only watch him trounce and, and beat on cab drivers for so long before you, you know, you want to see him in there against more credible opposition. So, uh, yeah. Did you guys have anything to add to uh, to the Mungia Smith fighter about either fighter themselves? 
Well, Mungia did very well against Smith because Smith is a tough guy to deal with at this stage. If you're 21 and because of how dirty Smith is, it's actually very impressive that he was able to handle this the way he did. Okay. That's pretty much all I had to say, actually. I just want to give him credit okay. for uh, doing well against <laughs> <Yeah>. Smith. <laughs> okay. Well, then we'll move on to the uh, next week's fight preview. Uh, there's just a couple of uh, important fights happening, or fo- fights of note, rather, happening. Uh, one is on a Showtime card, and that being uh, Mikey Garcia versus Robert Easter Jr., uh, which is for the WBC and IBF lightweight uh, title. So it's a unification bout, which makes it important to me. Um, I'm going to start this one, guys. I've got Garcia by knockout in this fight. Um, I think he's a class or maybe two above um, a very sloppy and, and what I consider overrated uh, Robert Easter Jr. Um, I went through kind of the tail of the tape in my head and uh, looked at YouTube videos, um, and I give... I gave Garcia the check mark in every category except for size uh, because I think Mikey's 5'6", like I am, and Robert Easter's almost six foot. So um, Mikey has the better punch, the better fundamentals here. Um, so I kind of view this fight as more or less a show, almost a showcase for Garcia. Um, I don't think it'll be a walk in the park by any stretch, but uh, I definitely think Mikey's going to dominate this fight and stop Robert Easter at some point. Uh, Victor, uh, how do you see this one playing out? It should be a one-sided beating. Well, not a beating, but it should be a pretty one-sided Mikey Garcia victory. Robert Easter Jr.'s only advantage here is this height, which he doesn't even use correctly. There, well, I yeah, reach, which he yeah, he does, does fight very correctly. small. So I don't see what Robert Easter Jr. is supposed to do here. He arguably should have lost his last, what, like three fights too? Is it three? Yeah. I know he should have yeah. like three losses. Or well, you could he, argue that he's yeah. got three losses, you know? Well, he's looked to me, and you and I have watched two of those three together on uh, through Rabbit, uh, Victor, and we laugh. You laugh at me when I when I start criticizing Robert Easter Jr. because in that last fight he went wild and kind of was windmilling like Deontay Wilder, and and, and then you pointed out, you know, this guy doesn't use his height at all. He's fighting, he fights very small for somebody that's almost six foot, you know, at, at, at the light. His positioning of his body is wrong. He throws his punches yeah. wrong sometimes. His balance, he doesn't do his balance. right. Yeah. Yeah, that's balance the positioning is terrible. Like he does nothing right. He's just tall. Yeah. That's literally it. And, yeah, and Mikey is a. Is, it doesn't do anything super flashy, but he's a textbook fundamental fighter who does all of those, you know, the textbook things very, very well. Um, so yeah, I'm with you. Uh, uh, where are you at with this, Michael? <laughs> does, does Robert? Uh, does Easter Jr. have any kind of shot in this fight whatsoever? Obviously, I'm going to go with Mikey. Uh, no, I'm a bit of a. Mikey fan, he's in my top, sure. probably my top five, pound for pound. I think okay. uh, Mikey's gone, gone from uh, being like a power puncher early in his career, kind of changing it around to become more of a pure boxer and breaks his opponents down. Um, Easter kind of used to look like he had the skills, but against his last two opponents, I think it was Fortuna <laughs> and was it Fortuna and Shavrikov, like he think he could have really have lost both of those. Didn't look too good against lesser opponents there. Um, as you guys kind of just touched on, he has the size advantage, but doesn't really use it. But I think Easter's going to struggle with the patience of Garcia. He'll probably eat quite a lot of body shots with him being the bigger guy. I think Mikey will take the work to the body. Mikey being a smarter fighter, I think he'll come in pretty prepared. And I think he'll stop him around seven, around six or seven, something like that. Okay. 
Yeah, I, that's kind of how I see it playing out, uh, or ending. I see it ending around the same time. Um, now, assuming, guys, uh, Victor, and I'll ask you first, assuming Garcia wins his fight, um, what's next on his agenda, and does does beating Robert Easter Jr. get us any closer to uh, the fight with Lomachenko? I mean, he could have a Lomachenko fight if he wanted it. It doesn't seem like Mikey Garcia actually wants the fight. He'll say that he does sometimes, but he's not doing anything to make that fight happen. I don't think he actually wants to fight any of the people that he calls out. He'll like say something like, I want to fight Spence. I want to fight Thurman. And, and then, then he turns these big fights down. Yeah. So, I mean, he shouldn't fight those guys anyway. They would beat the shit out of him just because of size. Even if their <laughs> skill was like close, he would still lose just solely because yeah, of size. Yeah. But yeah. So that's also why I think calling him out was stupid in the first place. But yeah. as far as what he's going to do next, I can't predict this guy. Nothing he does really makes sense. I do have a question for you, Mike, though. Why is he mm-hmm. in your top five? I just I like him. I like that he's uh, like a really good kind of textbook fighter. He's got some good finishes on his record. Uh, and then I've been, I've met him. I've been to his camp quite a few times, and he comes across as kind of like a real down-to-earth guy, which kind of helps, you know, when you kind of meet them and the Actually, nice in real life, I guess. Hmm. I well, I've got Garcia on my pound for pound list, but I don't like I, with with most guys. I don't really know where they sit or what number they sit at, with the exception of like one and two, like a Golovkin and a Lomachenko. Um, but I, I think Garcia is definitely one of the best fighters in the world at the moment, um, or most capable at least. Um, where would you place him, or where would you rank him? What on a pound for pound list? Yeah, or do you rank him at all? I don't on that list. I don't okay. have him on a pound for pound list. I don't see why well, you would actually. There's well, just just to play, yeah, just to play devil's advocate. I'm not necessarily disagreeing with you. Uh, why would you exclude him from that list or that conversation? What has he done recently to put him on a pound for pound list? Like, what are his big wins that have come up recently that makes you want to like put him on a list above a lot of other guys in boxing right now? Honestly, he shouldn't even be above anyway, and a lot of people have him above anyway. Like, what am I supposed mm-hmm. to be looking at? Because he beat Broner? Because he beat Lipinitz? Like, what? Because those are, like, the only things recently that are there. So, what? I don't get it. Well, for for me, it's more about his, his ability or his skill, the you know, the skill at which he operates or does his work. Um, but I agree with you, Victor. I, you know, resume-wise and accomplishment-wise, uh... Mikey's questionable, and, and, and like we were just talking about a few moments ago, um, you know, I've criticized Mikey in the past openly on the show and on Twitter about his his some of his really stupid and questionable business decisions, uh, turning down career high paydays, you know, after calling somebody out or you know saying he wants a specific fight, uh, he wanted the it was the Linares fight, wasn't it, where he where Golden Boy gave him every fucking thing he asked for and bitched about. Yeah. And then he, he turned around and walked away from it, you know, with no yeah, real explanation. He, he turned it down. He turned, yeah. down, he turned it down. <laughs> see, then he said he wanted to fight the uh, Robert Easter Jr. fight. And we all thought it was silly because Robert Easter Jr. is ranked below Linares. And then that fight didn't happen. And now he's fighting Lenar, uh, Easter Jr. anyway. So it's like, why did you waste that much time to even have this? Like what? It's like you just right. stagnated yourself for like eight months or however long it was just to be, Yep. stagnant. Any, I know, I know. There's a big size difference, but he also turned down the Miguel Cotto fight. Um, you know, the one that Saddam Ali ended up getting and, and, and winning. Um, so I don't know. 
you know, I don't know where Mikey's coming from with a lot of these decisions, but Mike, did you have something to add to, to what we're saying or, or, or some point of contention? I think that he's, I can understand why some people don't like him because he does call out a lot of people and then doesn't fight them. But after speaking to him a few times, he says a lot of the times that when he gets offered the fights, like he'll say that he'll want to fight that one person in a one fight deal. And then Golden Boy will say, well, you can fight Linares, but we want you to fight three fights for us. You know, and obviously that's one of the reasons that he let Scott Brank was because of uh, having to commit to so many fights where Mikey just kind of wants to go in fight that one fight and then go back out and then obviously fight some other people, whoever he sure. decides. Um, I think one of the problems he has as well is like in the divisions that he's kind of fighting is sometimes there's not too many big names. Um, I think now though, with him getting to the, probably around the peak of his career or towards the end of his career, he needs to start adding some of those Hall of Fame names. It's going to pad out of his career. Like I'd like to see him fight like a Lomachenko or maybe even Linares. I think he's still probably up there, even though he's got that loss to uh, sure. Lomachenko. Um, but when I went to his camp, he said he actually said that when he be- beats uh, Easter, he wants to uh, move up to 147. Uh, oh. So I don't, I don't think that's going to work out too well for him personally. No. But I think he's after oh, well, that, that fifth weight. Because obviously he's got four oh. weight world champion. I think he's trying to go for that fifth weight world champion. So The only oh. guy he could beat at 147 is Pacquiao. And that's a maybe. When I say the only yeah. guy, I mean like the only top guy. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, man. What? See, again, I I have to go back to what I was just talking to Victor about, Michael. Uh, you had mentioned that you know Golden Boy said, "Oh, we want." <laughs> like you back. can't be Pacquiao. What am I saying? No, I the the Pacquiao that we just saw, even though Matisse, you know, certainly helped Pacquiao look look really good. Uh, I don't think Mikey Garcia could handle Pacquiao. Um, I don't think it would be a wash for Pacquiao, but I definitely think he would walk away. Uh, Pacquiao would walk away with the, the with the victory or the win. Um, I, I, man, I don't I don't understand. I wish I could meet him uh, like you have, uh, Michael, because I mean, and I'm sure he wouldn't appreciate the questions I would ask because I'd, I'd probably be a lot more blunt. I'd be much more blunt than you are. Um, but you know. I would be, I would just straight ask him, look, Mikey, you know, Golden Boy gave you everything and told you there were no additional fight options. You weren't going to be tied to them. They didn't have anything on you after the Lenars fight. What'd you walk away from that for to fight somebody else and then end up fighting Robert Easter Jr. Anyways, I mean, I just and I would ask just because I'm trying to understand. I I, I don't know if it has anything to do with the PBC. I don't know if it's Mikey or maybe Robert. Maybe they maybe they have some sort of you know, agenda that the public isn't privy to, you know, I, I don't understand because I, I'm a huge Mikey Garcia fan and it's, uh, you know, I'm not knocking the guy cause I think he's an idiot or anything, but I just, I don't understand what he's, what he, what he's doing. You know, he says, I, he, you know, when one guy, when a guy says I want the biggest paydays possible and we know Mikey's in this for the payday because he said he doesn't particularly, you know, he's not, he's not, he's not a lover of boxing. He doesn't do it. It's not a labor of love for him like it is for other guys, which is fine. Uh, but, you know, if that's the case, why aren't you making that that Lomachenko fight? Why didn't he take the Lenares fight? Why is he fighting Robert Easter Jr.? You know, I mean, this, to me, this is just padding his record. Um, and and like you said, one four. I mean, one forty seven. Holy shit, Mikey's a small guy. He's my size, and it's, you know, the welterweights are huge compared to to guys like me and Mikey. So, you know, I, I think Mikey's definitely got the talent and the ability, but. At some point, you, you kind of you run into that brick wall when these guys are just so big that, 
you know, your skills are ineffective or, or, you know, just don't really matter anymore. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm still really frustrated with Garcia, as I'm sure you guys can tell by my mini rant here. I just, I want to see guys like Garcia that have this tremendous talent and ability, uh, do something with it. I don't want to see them make a career out of fighting Robert Easter juniors or, or, or opponents on, on that level, you know, and then cashing out at the very end after their prime is over. You know, I want to see these guys do something with it and be special and, 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 you know, create those memories for not only me, but for other fans, you know, and so that we, we can talk about those, you know, those, these fighters are their, you know, a particular fighter set of fights, you know, years down the line. Mikey has that talent, uh, you know, I, I see it in him, but I just, I don't understand his, his career je- trajectory. I just don't, I don't get it at all. Um, so as far as what he does after Robert Easter, I don't, you guys don't really know. I don't know either. Um, I would love to see him fight Lenars. Michael, I think that you're right. I think that's still a, uh, an enticing fight because I mean, Lou, he didn't, Lenars didn't just lay down for Lomachenko. He made a fight out of it, you know, and he gave a really good account of himself, showed that he's on an elite level. So um, I think Garcia would win that fight, but I think it would be a hell of a fight and, and, and possibly a real battle uh, for both guys. Um, but if he's going to go to 147, oh, my God. If you see him again, tell him the host of the show that you, that you guessed on thinks he's nuts. <laughs> I just... I, yeah, I, I just I don't I don't understand that 147. I mean, even Lomachenko, as great as he is, him and his dad and everybody involved with that with him says you know 135 140 is the limit here. You know, at some point you just start getting bullied by guys who have this tremendous size advantage and and strength advantage on you. So, <sighs> shit, I don't know, guys. I don't know. I you know I'm excited to watch Mikey you know do his thing next week. Um, and it'll be kind of funny to watch Robert Easter get knocked out just because uh, he's he's not what the, a lot of the media thinks he is. Um, I've had a couple of people in the media tell me that uh, beating Robert Easter Jr. is 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 a very noteworthy accomplishment uh, for Mikey Garcia. I don't agree with that. Uh, respectfully disagree with that because um, this came from several people I have a ton of respect for. but I, I mean, don't it know sounds they... good on paper, but, like, sure. he's already supposed to have lost the lesser fighters. Like, the fuck, man? Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, like I said, in, in, if this was – if this if we were doing this show on the radio in the 80s or 90s or even early 2000s, before Blog Talk Radio existed, before podcasts existed, before YouTube was around, like, information wasn't as easy – you had to rely on – basically HBO and Showtime and ESPN to get your boxing information or you read like the ring magazine, like I used to do, uh, you, you know what I mean? It, uh, you know, outside of that, it was just, Hey, you know, if you had any friends that watched fights or family that watched fights, you talk about it with them. But now in the age of YouTube and social media, I can go, anybody can go right now and watch type in Mikey Garcia highlights or knockouts. And then they can do the same thing for Robert Easter jr. Or you can watch entire fights and just, I mean, watch how each man applies their craft. You can see the disparity in skill level is maybe not high, but it's enough to cause concern if, if you're a Robert Easter Jr. fan or if, you, you know, you're, maybe you're a gambler or something like that. I mean, you, you get, you, I mean, it's not hard to figure out what a particular fighter, any fighter is up against in their next fight or any upcoming bout. I mean, it's very easy. So where, where these guys in the media got their information or opinions from, I have no idea. Um, I mean, it's a, like you said, it's, it's nice on paper, 
Um, and I get it, Mikey Garcia's, you know, fighting, I think, a little higher in a, in a weight class where he maybe doesn't quite belong or isn't exactly as comfortable as he could be or should be. Uh, but Robert Easter is not a very good fighter. He's average at best, and he's no, extremely Mikey flawed. Mikey Garcia is supposed to be at 135. Oh, I f- I'm sorry. For some reason, I thought he was at 140. This was at 140. I'm, like, totally, like, out of it. Like, work's been crazy all week, so sorry about that. But, yeah, but, you know, it's just, I mean, it's not hard to to figure out what a guy is and what a guy isn't in, in 2018, and it wasn't even in 2012. So, you know, I don't I don't know what the, where these people are coming from. Uh, if Robert Easter Jr. makes a real fight of this or it goes the distance, I would be really shocked. I would be really surprised. Um, but with that said, I'll be there, I'll uh, be there. the what, Michael? I'll be there. I'm going. Oh, are you going? Yeah, I'm going to the fight. Awesome. Well, then you can give us a, a, a first-hand account when we do the the review next week. That'll be great. That's gonna be I'll awesome. Be telling Victor. I can tell Victor how good Mikey was. Yeah. <laughs> if Mikey Garcia doesn't look especially impressive, I won't shout to reevaluate how y'all see this man. Okay. Well, I was going to say, if, if, he, if he struggles or just looks average against Robert Easter, uh, I, I would say that's a definite indictment on Mikey Garcia because I think he's much, much better than that. Um, I think he's a top-tier elite-level fighter, even though his resume doesn't yet reflect that. Um, but, yeah, I guess we kind of just have to let it play out, guys. Um with that said, uh, was there anything else either one of you to, wanted to add to Garcia or Easter as fighters or the fight itself? Not really, not for this one. Okay. No, All right, we well, the, it okay. Uh, the other one fight of note uh, happening next week is happening over in England, uh, and that's Dillian White versus Joseph Parker in the heavyweight division. Um, in this one, guys, I'm picking Parker by decision. Um, I think he's just the better boxer, uh, and I also think he's the fresher fighter. Um, I've never been too high on Dillian White. I've always just thought he was kind of a little bit better than average, but not great. Um, which makes him at the top of this division, which is hilarious. Yeah, yeah, to me. but yeah. Well, I mean, Victor, you, 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 and I have said this many times on the air on this show. Uh, you have Anthony Joshua, which who sits at the top of the mountain. Deontay Wilder, which sits at the base of the mountain, or who sits Maybe. at the base of the Maybe mountain. Maybe Wilder. Yeah. Yeah. Or, uh, yeah, yeah, on the edge of the cliff of the mountain, I should say. And then you have everyone else in the, at the bottom of the ravine. Like, the heavyweight division is terrible. Like, no, I mean, you know like, what I Parker mean? Can beat, Parker can beat Wilder. I actually would oh. favor Parker to beat Wilder. No. Yeah, why not? Wilder gets outboxed by every so? single person he boxes. Yeah. Dude, Parker <sighs> can take a punch, which is like Wilder's only good thing about him. Literally has one thing. Mm. Hmm. I don't know. What what do you think, Michael? Do you think you think Parker would actually beat Dillian White? Or I'm sorry, will you think Parker would actually beat Deontay Wilder? I think Parker's definitely, without a doubt, the most skillful fighter, so it would just be a case sure. of, it would be a an Usyk Gassiev type of fight. Okay. You just got to keep away from those big punches. Um, I don't think it's. Um, I don't think it's a crazily crazy decision uh, that he would beat him. I don't see Wilder really having the technique or the style. I think he could probably get quite quite annoyed after a while if he just keeps punching fresh air. Um, <laughs> yeah, I could I could see Parker 
taking the decision against him. You just got to stay away from the the crazy power that Wilder possesses in both hands. Like when he knocked Luis Ortiz down, it wasn't even a flush punch. He kind of just caught him on the side of the head and still took right. him out. Right. So is it safe to assume that both of you guys are picking Parker over White this weekend? No, I mean, Dillian White can also beat Parker. It's just that I don't think Wilder is that good. Now, Dillian White can win this. I don't think he's going to, but he can win this. My views, I was going to say relationship, but I didn't want to use that word because men. But my thoughts (laughs) on Dillian White are interesting because every time I bet against him or pick against him, it's mainly because I don't think he's very good. And I keep forgetting how weak the division is. And then he ends up winning like, motherfucker, why? Why are you (laughs) winning these fights? But... I don't know. I think Parker should win this. Okay. My How about you, Michael? Parker by decision. Okay. Um, I would have... I think it's actually close because mm-hmm. with the paydays getting bigger, I've noticed following kind of Dylan White on Instagram and you can't really go off much from his last fight against Lucas Brown, but when you looked at him, when he got into the ring against Lucas Brown... It was the first time I'd actually see him. I actually looked kind of ripped, in shape. He didn't have kind of the belly hanging over his shorts. Um, he actually had a jab. With losing all of the weight, he seemed to have uh, be a lot sharper, a lot quicker. So yep. I think the extra money he's been earning in his career, he's now put into good use. He's staying in camp. He seems to be in a lot better shape. So I still, it looks like they've picked Dylan White to win this. He's actually earning, I think, three or four million for this fight. So he's earning more money than... Wilder earns, and he's nowhere near up there at the top kind of level that you'd expect. He's not holding the WBC belt like Wilder is, but it's looking like Eddie Hearns put his money on Wilder to win, and then hopefully get a big British showdown against uh, Anthony Joshua, either either in April, if Wilder doesn't take it, or later in the year. Um, You know what? I'll 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 stick with my, my British comrade. I'll go with Dylan White. Okay. All right, you have been heard. Um, one other question on this fight, guys. Does the winner uh, kind of enter or re-enter the, the Joshua Wilder sweepstakes thing that's kind of going on? Or do you think that uh, it, it's pretty much going to be Miller and, and Wilder next year? Well, I mean, Parker just fought Joshua. I don't think people right. want to see a rematch. If Sure. What I would like to see if, we're not going to immediately see the Joshua and Wilder match for Parker to fight Wilder. That'd be fun. If Dillian White wins, although we already saw White versus Joshua, that was quite some time ago. You could market that fight. They've been trying to get that as well. That's definitely not on my like must-see or anything like that, but I wouldn't trash the matchup, and I imagine that it would sell pretty well, you know? Yeah. Uh, how about you, Michael? If the Wilder fight doesn't go ahead, I could see them fight him fighting maybe Jerome Miller because he obviously put himself in the frame. Yeah. In the, uh, in the, the zone announcement in New York. <laughs> yeah. um, and then I think, I mean, I, listen, I still listen to a lot of the British podcasts and read the news out there. And Dylan White and Anthony Joshua have kind of already said that those two are going to probably fight either once or twice more because they just have those styles that seem to clash and they don't really get along in real life. So mm-hmm. the British public kind of likes that. They can build that up, and that'll be, a, I imagine, a good payday for both of them again. So I think that fight will definitely happen. It just obviously depends on Wilder, whether he's going to face facts and just take 
less money than he thinks he deserves, even though it's four <laughs> or five times more than he's ever earned. I can't really understand what's going on there, but... Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I tend to think that, just to touch on it for a minute here, uh, I tend to think that, that Wilder and Joshua are probably going to fight in April. Uh, if they don't, uh, it'll happen next fall. I think I don't want to see it pushed back that far, but uh, I definitely think it's it's still happening next year. Uh, but I think that Anthony Joshua probably fights Jarrell Miller after, uh, if, assuming he beats Alexander Povetkin. Um, you know, uh, but yeah, I, I don't I don't think anybody's going to want to see Parker fight Joshua again, and um, I don't think Wilder's people are going to are going to choose Parker as an opponent. Uh, just because of what Victor said, you know, there, there's a skill disparity there, and if if he's able to do kind of what Usyk did to Gassiev, uh that's you know, I don't want to say easy work for Parker because uh, Wilder's a very dangerous, strong guy, but you know, he's, he he could make Wilder look really bad and and kind of ruin the 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 uh, Anthony Joshua fight. So I think that they'll kind of ease off on that. Um, now, with that said, guys, uh, I want to move on to news and notes. Um, and the only really thing that, that I wanted to make sure we talked about this week uh, was season two of the World Boxing Super Series. Um, they had the draw uh, the day before yesterday for the Bantamweights and the Junior Welterweight Tournament that is going on. Um, and I think I sent you guys the link for it uh, so you can see um, who's, uh, who's in the tournament and, oops, and what the draws were. Um, before we get started or before we get into that, uh, did you guys have any comments on... Uh, the tournament itself, or the upcoming tournaments themselves, or should we just jump right into it? Just uh, jump right. straight into it, I think. Okay, okay. Yeah, I was going to say, we'll just jump right into it. Um, we'll start with the Bantamweight tournament. Um, the number one seed uh, is Ryan Burnett. Number two is Naoa, in, in, I can never say his name right, Inoue. Uh Number three is Galani Titi. TD, I think his name is, or Tete, I'm not sure. Uh, and then Emmanuel Rodriguez. How do you say it? Tete is so how I always say. Tete. And, uh, it's Tete. definitely pronounced in a way. Uh, in a way, yeah. Uh, and then rounding out the uh, the the, seat, the seated fighters is Emmanuel Rodriguez, who is the IBF World Bantamweight Champion. Uh, we've also got J- Jason Maloney, who is a mandatory challenger. Uh, Nonito Donaire, a former four-time world champion. Juan Carlos Payano, uh, who's a formal ban- Bantamweight title holder. And then Mikhail Aloyan, I think is, is how you pronounce the name, is an undefeated contender. Um, Victor, I'm going to start with you. Um, tell us what you think of the Bantamweight tournament in general, and who are you favoring in this one? Favoring, in a way. I mean, I don't think he's, like, the best boxer ever, like some people try to make him out to be, but I think he should win this tournament. If not him, then Tate is going to win it. One of those two guys. Well, actually, yeah, one of those two are probably going to take this very favoring, in a way. It's an all right tournament. This isn't, like, a glamour division, but it should make for some really good matches. Hopefully, the matches are pretty much all competitive, which would be really dope for the sake of the tournament. I think sure. it's going to go off basically the same way the super middleweight tournament went. You know how, like, we didn't really care too much about the fighters in it. Well, <laughs> I don't want to put this. You know how, like, nobody there was, like, a huge star, same thing for the cruiserweight division, but, like, sure. you had the talent of Usyk, right, which kind of, like, carried it. He had that the pedigree. You you knew Usyk was a special fighter even before the tournament. Well, for this one, I think what's going to happen is that it's going to make you care a lot about the winner. You're going to get very invested in the tournament itself just because yeah. 
this isn't like, you know, a, well, I don't want to say A-level fighters, but this isn't like super popular fighters, the exception of Inoue, you know, and Inoue still has its flaws that should get exposed a bit in this tournament, I'm hoping. Well, yeah, I I think that's the hope of, uh, and we all have that hope. You want to see fighters pushed and, you know, kind of find out what they're made out of. Um, I think, I think the Bantamweight tournament is, is, uh, more solid than the super middleweight tournament uh, has been, or, or will end up being when that finally concludes later this year. Um, but Michael, what do you think of, uh, the Bantamweight tournament? I'm really looking forward to it. Um, kind of, I, I like, uh, Ryan Burnett. I think he's a good fighter in no way. He's obviously world-class. Uh, Zalone Tete, he's a knockout machine. Emmanuel Rodriguez, I think he's a great fighter. He came from nowhere recently and had that big win. Uh, Donito Donaire is obviously a legend. Uh, Juan Carlos Payano, I think he's uh, he's a decent fighter he's in, as sure. well. Uh, so those six are all decent names, I think. Um, yeah. I agree with, I agree with uh, Victor. I think in, in no way has to be going his favorite. Um, and Tete, I think, will be second favorite. And then I would go with Ryan Burnett. Uh, mm-hmm. Probably my third favorite. Mm-hmm. So I think it's, I think this is, it's a good draw. I think also uh, Ryan Burnett, Donito Donaire, um, kind of surprised he actually picked on air with being the uh, first seed. He kind of right. Donaire, um, <laughs> I mean, obviously he's old and you know he gave still gave Frampton a fairly decent fight, but there's always that chance he's still got one one big night in him. So I was kind of surprised he picked him. He didn't go for someone like a Jason Maloney. Um, right. Kind of a crazy decision. Uh, I think uh, Inoue will be my favorite, and Tete, you just got to watch for that power. He's just a knockout machine. And obviously, he's been yeah. over in England for quite a few times over there. He had that knockout, which is, I think, the fastest for a championship fight, like eight seconds or something like that. Yeah. When he yeah. got the guy yeah. into a punch. Um, yep. So obviously, that's gonna that's gonna bring a lot of eyes having Tete in the in the tournament. So really looking forward to it. I think it's a good way. It should be a, a good tournament. Just hopefully stay away from. Any injuries and any delays, which you know affected the uh, the first series. Right. Yeah, I'm with you. I I, I favor in a way to win the entire thing, uh, but uh, I also like uh, Zolani. Uh, what a Tete. Mm-hmm. Uh, he. I, I'm horrible with. I'm even horrible with American names, so I apologize. Um, but yeah, I've seen him fight a number of times, and that I mean that power is always dangerous. Um, I would go with Inoue first. Uh, Tete probably second, and then third, I would favor Ryan Burnett. Um, I think no, I kind of feel bad for Nonito Donaire. Um, I don't think he was ever quite what what you know HBO and his handlers wanted us to believe he was. I think he was very good when he was at his at his absolute peak, um, but he hasn't looked great in a, in a while. And um, I don't know. I mean, unless Michael, like you said, he's got one more good punch or one more good night in him. Um, I don't. I just don't see him advancing past the first round. But uh, I mean, you know, Donaire is thirty-five right now, so that's yeah, old but, as fuck for that weight class. Yeah, for a bantamweight. Yeah, that's really old. I mean, that's old for any fighter, but for especially for a, someone as small as a bantamweight. Um, I don't know. I'll have to be honest here with you guys and our listeners. Um, I don't know too much about Mikhail Oloyan. Um, I don't know where he's from. I don't think I've ever seen him fight or heard his name before. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll have to research him, but, uh, uh, Juan Carlos Piano is a decent fighter. Nonito could still be dangerous. Jason Maloney, 
uh, he's all right. Um, I think I think those four guys over on the right hand side of that uh, that tournament poster are there for a very specific purpose. Um, but I, I I don't think any of those guys are going to come and just lay down for you know the, the seated guys. So um, I'm pretty excited about it, uh, and I I'm excited about the bantamweight tournament and all tournaments basically for the same general reason is that like Victor said, when we started this discussion, uh, even if you're not totally jazzed or you don't know too much about the fighters involved in the tournament, there's unifications on, you know, there's going to be unification fights. Titles are on the line. Somebody's going to come out of this looking really good. Um, so you get, you get invested not only in specific fighters, but, uh, you know, in the, in the process itself. So, uh, there's going to, it's pretty exciting. Um, especially after what we've seen from the first season. Um, now, with that said, guys, I want to move on to the uh, super lightweight or junior welterweight tournament, as I call it, uh, happening alongside the bantamweight tournament. In this one, um, my eyes are firmly fixed on Regis Progre, uh, but we also have Josh Taylor, who's dangerous. Uh, the number three seed was Kirill Relic, I think is how you pronounce his name. And then uh, I'm going to butcher this name too, Ivan Baranchik. Bar- how do you guys pronounce that one? Baranchik, I think. Baranchik, yeah. Did I get it right? Wow, I actually got it right. And then uh, those are the four seated fighters. Uh, now the other guys in the tournament we uh, are Anthony Yigit, uh, Terry Flanagan, Edward Troyanowski, and then Ryan Blue Chip Martin. Um, I think this is a pretty solid tournament too. Um, but I, I definitely favor Regis Progre. Um, I think Josh Taylor is, is the only other guy that, that might give Progre some problems or even beat him. Um, uh, Michael, let's start with you on this one. Now that I've given my opinion, uh, are you excited are as excited about the super lightweight tournament as you are about the Bantamweight tournament? And who do you favor in this one? Yeah, I'm looking forward to this one again. I think it's a, it's another decent selection of people they've got, uh, Again, Regis Progre picking Terry Flanagan. I thought that was a kind of a strange decision. I mean, he's 33 and one, Southpaw from England. He's only sure. had one fight up at, one, at 140 when he uh, he fought Maurice Hooker, and mm-hmm. that was his first loss. And Maurice Hooker came over to England and took the victory there. Um, but he's not fighting anyone of like any kind of slouch or anything like that. So I was surprised he picked uh, Terry Flanagan. You know, I thought maybe someone like Ryan Martin, who Josh Taylor picked, would have been kind of an easier decision. Ryan Martin, younger, but greener. Terry Flanagan has been a world champion in the division sure. below for for many for many years. Uh, I'm going to go with Josh Taylor. I'm sticking Josh Taylor as my favorite to win it. All I right. think he'll, he, can, he can maybe surprise Regis Progre. Um, I think he's an accomplished fighter. Still a little bit green, but he's got the, uh, the amateur pedigree. So, I, I mean, I hope, I'd like to see those two uh, fight it out. I think that would be a good... Would, it, would they would they have to fight in the semis or can they get to the final? I imagine uh, they'll I separate think, them. Being one. Yeah, I, because they're number one and number two. I think they're they're destined for the finals if they both make it. Yeah. Yeah, I hope that I hope that's the final. That'll be a be a good yeah. final. I think so. Yeah, it'd be a great final. Uh, well, how are you feeling about this one, Victor? No, I like this. Uh, pretty much everything Mike just said. Only I favor Pro Gray instead of um, Josh Taylor to win this one. Okay. You just think he's the better fighter, or? Yeah, I mean, I feel like at 140, I don't think there's anybody that can really take what Progray does. I think he's just a little bit too brutal in there, basically. I don't see him losing yeah. to anybody. 
Okay. Oh. All right. And that's it? That's your final say on the tournament? <laughs> yes, for right now, yeah, it is, man. Okay. <laughs> Okay, no worries, dude. rough for me right now. <laughs> yeah, no worries, no worries, man. No worries. I know you got a lot going on, so it's all good. Um, now, with that said, guys, um, I didn't – maybe I missed the news, but did they announce when those two tournaments are, are having their inaugural bouts or when the tournaments start? Uh, I don't so, believe so. Yeah, I, I, was ex- I, I was expecting or at least hoping that was going to happen along with a draw, so I'm a little bit surprised by that. Um, but the last bit of news and notes I wanted to go over here today uh, before we end the show um, has to do with this mystery third weight class uh, in season two of the World Boxing Super Series tournaments um, that we all kind of thought that might be announced. I know we discussed it on the air. We thought that it might be announced along with this draw or, you know, during or, or after the uh, conclusion of the Usyk and Gossia fight. But that, that all those things came and went with no announcement. Um, I heard a couple of other rumors, and I always take rumors with a grain of salt, and I encourage everyone else to be skeptical as well. Uh, but I heard additional rumors that they are going to run the cruiserweights back again, um, and that they were wa- they were waiting simply waiting for the first tournament to finish and, and before they finalize anything. Um, but whether or not that's the case, guys, we don't really know. Um, but when the hell are they going to make this announcement? Since it didn't happen when we thought it would. I mean, how longer can this can this go on? Uh, Michael? Uh, I was, I think we touched on it last week or the week before. I mean, I was hoping they weren't going to do the cruiserweights. I mean, just, they've just done it, so you're kind of going over old ground. I would have liked mm-hmm. to have seen the light heavyweights. We've got two of the two of the smaller weights, so like a middleweight or a light heavyweight to me would have been a, a good decision. Um, but I think the problem they probably come across is, you know, some of the some of the divisions are highly stacked with big names, all yeah. tied to different TV companies and different promotional companies. So like, for example, say like the middleweights where you've got the Charlos, uh, Canelo, Triple G, they're all tied to different promotions, different TV deals. So I think actually trying to pick out a weight class where you can actually get everybody to commit and they're actually all willing to fight each other, I imagine it's pretty pretty tricky, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Now, let me ask you, Michael, do you think it's even remotely possible that uh, – Sarland, Sarland is waiting for uh, the Kovalev and Bebel fights on August 4th to conclude before they announce a 175 tournament, or do you think that's just wishful thinking on my part? I was actually just about to say that. Yeah. Okay. What, what do you think, Mike? I mean, I hope that wishful thinking is right, because that would be, <laughs> yeah. that'd be really good if they could get uh, one or both of those names really uh, yeah. in in the weight class. Um, uh, you you can, with, with the, yeah. With the tournaments Sorry. that we've had, a lot of the big names have actually entered the tournament. So I think that if they're going to carry on doing it, they're going to need those marquee names. Yeah. I mean, like the other two tournaments don't have all four champions, not all four belts are involved in either the Bantam or the super, super lightweight uh, tournaments. But, um, y- you know, you've got to have at least two or three of the big names in, in each division there. Um, if, if they're going to do a 175 or light heavyweight tournament, I think you kind of have to have both Sergey Kovalev and Dmitry Bivol. I don't think you can omit either one, especially Kovalev at this point in time. Um, but I did, th- I just, and I asked that question a moment ago, Michael, uh, only because 
uh, when I after I had gotten that uh, cruiserweight news again yesterday or read the rumors um, or been told about them, uh, I thought, well, maybe maybe they're just waiting for those August 4th bouts to conclude before, you know, when they ask, oh, what are you guys doing next? Well, I'm going into the World Boxing Super Series, you know, maybe t- surprise type of thing or something. But um, I think I had read somewhere that someone... I don't remember which fighter it was at light heavyweight that's that's ranked and well known uh, was going to be busy in September or, or October um, with somebody kind of off the grid. So I thought, well, if there if that person isn't included, how are they going to do a light heavyweight tournament? But um, I, I don't know. I kind of hope I kind of hope it's more than wishful thinking too, uh, Michael. I, you know, I I would be really disappointed with. Uh, I mean, I would watch it, and I would probably get invested in it again uh, at, if they run back the cruiserweights. But if Gossayev is gone, um, you know, and he moves up to heavyweight, and I, it, it's all but you know, it's all all but official that that Usyk is moving up to heavyweight, uh, and is you know for his next fight, and then I'm sure he'll stay there uh, for the rest of his career. You know, it's it's kind of like watching the leftovers, you know, fight for scraps after the two best guys in the division have taken off. Or left the building. Um, part of me says that that Sarlin and, and and Dick Schaefer are smarter than, than that. You know that they won't that they know better than to run the cruiserweights back again this soon. You know maybe a couple of years down the line or something. You know when there's mm-hmm. new contenders, new champions. That makes that absolutely makes sense. But uh, at this point in time, I, I I would think that those guys are old enough, experienced enough, and, and intelligent enough to know that. They've got to do something else, but if it's not cruiserweight again and it's not light heavyweight, uh, what? I mean, I, we we'd all want middleweight and welterweight. You know, just off the top of my head, those are the two of the bigger ones that I would want to see. But for obvious reasons, those two aren't going to happen, uh, especially 160. Um, <laughs> mainly because the top two guys are are going to be caught up with one another forever. Um, but. Uh, where what other what other weight classes like not that you would want to see Michael and I'll start with you first, but what what's feasible? What actually could they do? That's a good question. Um, I would imagine you'd probably be looking at the divisions with the so-called lesser names. You know the people that aren't yeah. tied to all the different mm-hmm. um, TV companies and all those sorts of ones. Like um, maybe a, a featherweight. Something like that. Okay. How about you, Victor? Uh, I guess what I would like to see is something like 154, like nothing lower than that, but oh. that's not really viable. Like, I already know that's not going to happen, but that would be dope. So what we're probably going to see, if it's not going to be light heavyweight and it's not going to be cruiserweight, I hope it's not cruiserweight, then <laughs> I guess we would probably see maybe 115. I feel like everybody there would be down. Okay, yeah, I could see them going that route. Um, yeah, I, I mean, outside of the, uh, uh, I would love to see 150. Let's see, I would love to see 154, a heavyweight, middleweight, light heavyweight. Uh, but outside of those those four divisions, or in welterweight, but outside of those mm-hmm. five divisions, like, I mean, those are my, those would be, you got to make tournaments there. If somebody gave me that power and just said make it happen. That's where I'd head first. But outside of those divisions, I, I don't know. Um, that's that's a tough one, and I don't know if if it if there's no announcement after 
the Kovalev and Beevil fights on, on September 4, or on August 4th, excuse me, uh, I'm really going to be, like, perplexed. I'm going to be totally flummoxed because I have no idea what the fuck these guys are doing or working on behind the scenes. Um, if it turns out to be the cruiserweights, again, I'll be disappointed, at least initially, um, as I think we all will. But that, that will have made sense to me why they, you know, held off and waited um, because they probably know that it's not going to be, you know, is, is welcomed with open arms the same way, you know, all the other tournaments have been thus far. Um, but, yeah, I don't know, guys. I, I, I really hope that it, that something is announced, you know, next Saturday, uh, not next Saturday night, but the Saturday after that uh, on August 4th or, you know, the day after that or something. Um, I just, I, I, all the other divisions, you know, there's there's a couple of fighters in every division that are noteworthy or marquee names, but uh, I don't know. I don't know how, how financially feasible it is to take a division with, you know, that nobody follows or that has very few marquee names or no marquee names at all and then, you know, make a spectacle out of it. Uh, not that it can't be done, but um, I, don't, I don't know that they would take that risk. You know, there's a lot of money involved there. So, uh, again, I, it's one of those things you just got to let it play out and wait and see how it goes. Um, but with all of that said about the World Boxing Super Series, uh, that actually takes care of all of my news and notes. Um, did either you... Michael or Victor, have anything else you wanted to cover this week? What is the mark of a special fighter to you guys? Since we have a lot of talk about like Usyk being a truly special fighter, so what makes a special fighter special to you? Okay, uh, I'll take this real quick first. Um, in my eyes, a special fighter is somebody that does a great number of things. Doesn't have to be everything, but a great number of things on a level or two above the top guys in his division or even everyone else in the sport. Um, I think Usyk fits that mold. I think Golovkin fit that mold, especially when he was at his prime. Um, Muhammad Ali, Mike Tyson, any of, you know, any of those legendary guys, uh, you know, Marvin Hagler, Sugar Ray Leonard. Um, I think Lennox Lewis, uh, Vladimir Klitschko, um, you know, Manny Pacquiao, obviously, um, those are all special type fighters for me. Um, you know, some of them, some of them better than others. Some of them are greatest of all times. Some of them are just the best of their generation. Um, but outside of that, I, I, I would have to give it more thought. Uh, what are your thoughts on that, Mike? For me, one of the major things that I like is the, the quality of opposition. Mm-hmm. Um, who they've actually fought. So, you know, obviously when they retired and you go back and you look at the resume and see who they've actually fought and is it other people that we still remember today or do you have to look back and do you have to Google? Like, he's fought like 15 <laughs> people and beat 15 people, but I don't know who any of these guys are. You know, that's yeah. one of the major things to look at. So I like to see people, obviously, you know, pad the record out, but then, you know, when they're in the prime, actually go around and fight the other big fish in that pond. Um, that's one of them. And also, you know, fighting style, um, obviously, you know, knockouts are pleasing on the eye. Um, whether they're going in there and they're doing things completely different to anybody else. So, obviously, someone like Lomachenko at the minute, fighting from all those different angles and popping up, weaving, weaving in and out, hitting and then appearing on the other side, stuff like that. Um, it's something that I like to see, you know, transcending the sport. I think like a Muhammad Ali, where he comes mm-hmm. in and he's, he's good on the mic, but he's also good in the ring. He's, He's doing all the flashy <laughs> things and getting people off the off the seat at the same time. 
So, you know, like a combination, obviously no one's going to have all of those things in one package because that would be unbelievable. <laughs> so, you know, just yeah. having one or two of those different things to me makes them stand out. All right. Uh, who would you who would you say, Mike, is uh, aside from Alexander Usyk and Lomachenko, uh, can you name any other special fighters that are active right now? Triple G, I suppose. It's mm-hmm. special. Um, um, trying to think, who stands out at the minute? Anthony Joshua, I suppose. Can be, I'd say his fighting style isn't necessarily the most pleasing. He gets people out of there, but he's kind of robotic. He kind of sticks to whatever his right. coach says. But he is transcending the sport in the sense of he's a heavyweight that everyone kind of looks up to, and he's kind of becoming more globally known. He's known in Britain, obviously he's known over here. Um, he's popular in places like Dubai. They put a lot of money into him, a lot of sponsorship and stuff like that. So he's doing it in a, in a different way, I guess. Um, okay. That's fair. I wouldn't say there's, there's any real marquee names, probably just the ones that you said. Um, mm-hmm. Because, you know, the few and far between, that's why they are what they are, and that's why we still talk about people like Muhammad Ali now, like right. Mike Tyson, because there isn't so many that come out in a generation, in a decade. And that's why we what still about, talk about like those people from back in the day. Right. You, you, you would definitely place Manny Pacquiao on that list, would you not? As long as, see, the thing about him is, like, Roy Jones Jr. is one of my favorites, but I yes. hope that someone like Manny doesn't just carry on to the point where people now are going to look at him and go, I remember that guy. That was that old guy that was fighting on Spike TV for, like, five years yeah. You know, right. they kind of ruined their, they ruined their legacy by doing that. That's why Manny, right. like, he needs to get rid of all those 35 hangers-on, and he needs to stop gambling. He needs to stop doing all the things that he does behind the scenes that wasted all of his money. Yeah. Now, would you, would you, uh, but you would say that Manny was a special fighter at one point, yes? Oh, without a doubt. Yeah, Jujikuri yeah. Tade, he's going to, what, six to eight different divisions. Yeah, he has to be. Yeah. Now, how about you, Victor? What, uh, who would you say is a special fighter that's, that's active in the sport? I mean, special fighters are rare. You pretty much covered everyone that would fit that mode. I can't think of anybody else that would go, you got Pacquiao, Golovkin, Lomachenko. How about Arguably Terrence Crawford, guys? Crawford and Errol Spencer going that way, I would guess. Yeah, I think they're headed right there. Now. I don't think they're quite there yet. Yeah, I mean, no. maybe they will be at some point, but for right now, I don't see why I would put them there. Also, for me, when I say special fighter, or like, not when I say it, but like to me, the biggest mark of it is when they are in an even matchup or something that we think is supposed to be an even matchup, like a really tough fight for them, and they show another level that we haven't seen from them before. That's like a huge thing for me. Like when Usyk fought Gassiev and like it's night and day between his performances in that fight and his performance against the Michael <laughs> Hunter fight. Same guy upped his competition and did like way better against the better competition. That's a big thing for me. It takes a very special fighter for me to do that. Like Lomachenko did that against Linares. Linares very tough matchup for him. A lot of people didn't think it was a tough matchup for whatever reason. Like when you sit back and break that fight down, it's a tough matchup. Fight was really tough. He got knocked down and then he came up and stopped the guy in like the next round. That doesn't really happen ever. Just the way he fought in itself is just very amazing to watch. And to me, that is a special fighter. Yeah. No, I I think those are all good points, guys. Um, When I wasn't expecting that question when you asked Victor, so 
that kind of caught me off guard. But I would agree with all of those, you know, in addition to what I said about, you know, a guy operating on, on, on another level. And that kind of syncs up with what you just said, in, you know, where a guy takes it to another level when you think he's going to be in there tough or evenly matched and he shows something really, you know, out of the ordinary or extraordinary. Look at Kawasaki's fight, just to go way back, Kawasaki's fight against Jeff Lacey. Nobody thought Kawasaki was going to win yeah. that fight. Yeah, oh, yeah. Jeff, yeah, yeah, he sure did. Yeah. And even, uh, and even, um, who was it? Uh, I thought Kessler uh, was going to give uh, Joe Calzaghe a decent fight too, and best, Calzaghe that just washed him. The best adaptation in a boxing match ever. <laughs> yeah, that yeah, was that he was lost, like the first three or four rounds, and after that was a complete shutout. Yeah, yeah, he he shut him down pretty good, but. Uh, yeah, I don't. You know, yeah, special fighters are 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 not. You know, the the sports made up mostly of I think journeymen and and kind of fringe contenders. You know, and gatekeepers, kind of the middle of the road guys. Um, you know, and they vary in talent and scope as well. But uh, that, you know, the, really, it's just the that those are the guys. Not really, it's just that those are the guys that you're like exposed to. It's not really like that is the sport. But like, those guys are actually a whole lot better too than you get them credit for it, man. Oh, no, no. I'm not saying that they're garbage or anything. I just, you know, they're, they're the guys that lose, you know, to the top competition. Um, you know, they're not, I, I'm not saying that they, they're not the, uh, the one in 13 fighters, but you know, they're the, you know, I think of somebody like, uh, God, what was that, that guy's name? He used to fight on ESPN. Uh, Augustus, what was his last name? Emmanuel he, Augustus. Yeah, Emmanuel Augustus. Man, I loved that guy. And that guy was, I mean, that guy was the epitome, epitome of a journeyman, but he was tough as nails and he was a badass, you know what I mean? And he always came, he gave he gave everything he had, you know. Um, and then you got guys that are, you know, above that level like Arturo Gotti where they're, that's another definition of special where maybe they're not the most skilled, uh, you know, flashy or, or, you know, guys with, with, with great fundamentals. They're just extremely entertaining and they transcend the sport. You know, they, they entertain more than, than other guys tend to do. Um, I think those guys deserve special recognition as well and should be called special, you know, to some degree. Um, I know there was a, there was a, a group of people who, who were protesting or hated the idea of Arturo Gotti being put into the Hall of Fame. Um, I yeah, was, that shit is always weird to me because I feel like the fan perception of the Hall of Fame is a lot more strict than what the Hall of Fame actually is. And it's also kind of <laughs> fucked up for me that you can like have this much enjoyment out of watching some guy then you're like oh no you're not good enough to be remembered the fuck he isn't if i were to show <laughs> if i were to like try to introduce somebody to the sport i'm showing him or showing them that guy's matches i do the same sure. thing for salito if i'm trying to like introduce somebody that's like into like just now getting into boxing i want some like current matches i'm showing you a salito fight at some point that matters a whole lot to me when i want to like well that's, a, yeah, that's a good fight conversation well any any salito fight is a good fight to, to have people over for you know what i mean Exactly, like that shit matters. It matters a whole lot. Yeah, no, I, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm an admirer. You guys know I, I love punchers and knockouts more than anything else. So, you know, it's not just the Mike Tyson's and 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 you know Marvin Hagler's and stuff that I love. The guys with skill and power. It's, it's also the guys like Arturo Gotti and you know the guys that come in and, and give it everything they have and try to get you out of there whether they can or not. Um, I, I have extreme admiration for those kinds of guys. Uh, much more than I, uh, more so than I do for, you know, somebody like a Mayweather who who does all of his, you know, work most of his work on the defensive side of things and cherry picks his way through his, you know, at least the second half of his career. So, 
Um, but, you know, I would even say Mayweather was a special fighter uh, as, as yeah. much as I disliked the guy. You know, he was he was a rare talent that you're not going to see again, you know, probably in in, in our lifetimes. You know what I mean? Um, maybe in yours, Victor, because you're a little bit younger than, than uh, Mike and I, but, uh, you know, not too much more than Mike, but a lot younger than, than I am. Um, I won't I won't see another Manny Pacquiao. I probably won't see another Mike Tyson. I won't see another Golovkin. I won't see any of those types of guys, you know, in the in the 20 or 30 years that I have left. At least I don't think so, or I don't plan on seeing that type of thing. Um, but you never know. You know, it's boxing. You know, we get surprised. Every once in a while, a surprise fighter comes along and does something. Um, I think the last, I'm trying to think the last time that happened, um, and you guys let me know if I'm, like, overreacting to this. Um, the last big surprise I got in boxing was when Kelly Pavlik uh, beat and uh, knocked out Jermaine Taylor in their first fight. Um, I knew very little about Pavlik, um, and I wasn't expecting him to win that fight. And he came in, and, and especially after getting knocked down early, and he came in and you know unloaded on on Taylor and got him out of there. Uh, were you guys surprised by that, like I was? I was surprised by it, but I didn't like at the time. I didn't care as much as I think everyone else would since oh, okay. when that happened, I would have to be like, what? You were young. Yeah. You were still a kid or some shit. Yeah. Yeah, so. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe Mike's the better person to ask. And Mike, were you surprised by that fight at all? Yeah. I think kind of everybody at that time was, um, yeah. like you said, I don't think people really saw it. Yeah. Are you guys yeah, still there? Biggest surprise for me at around that time period was probably Sergio Martinez knocking out Paul Williams the way he did ah, in the rematch. Yes, yes, I'd forgotten about that one. That's one of those that that I use, I mean, I'll never forget it. But I, ironically, I just did, um, you know, or I had. Um, but yeah, that was I, that wasn't as big as a surprise for me though as as was uh, the 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 Pavlik knockout over Taylor. Oh yeah, see, see, I'm biased for that one because at that time Martinez was like my favorite boxer. Martinez is actually yeah. one of the guys that got me into boxing. Actually, uh, I love. Did y'all hear Martinez. that Martinez is talking about coming back to the ring? By the way, he's my age. No way. Yes. Yeah. No. No. Bad move. Bad move. I read this. I thought it was a joke. Apparently, is real. He wants to fight again, and I don't Does see he how you money? go from like the. Dude, I imagine that's the only thing I can think of because I don't see how you could like have the fight against Cotto and then think like, all right, seven years or however it might be longer. Actually, seven years later, I'm gonna get in the ring again, motherfucker. Why? Yeah. Why? Let me, let me ask you guys this, and I'll start with Mike since we're on the subject or the topic of Sergio Martinez. Um, two questions, Michael. Uh, was Martinez a special fighter, and is he Hall of Fame worthy in your opinion? Uh, yeah, I would say. He's probably Hall of Fame worthy, like you said. I think yes. people kind of look at the Hall of Fame differently. Um, I mean, he 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 started off not with the with the greatest career, you know. Started off in just obviously over in Argentina, fought a lot over there. Came over, fought Margarita or somebody, lost, mm-hmm. went back to Argentina, then Spain, and then he kind of really, really came on in the older part of his career and really made the most of his uh, his talent. He had. A couple of decisions that were kind of a bit iffy, like the Martin Murray one over in yeah. Argentina, where I think a lot of people thought Murray won, but you know I still give it to Martinez. I thought you know, Murray he, won. Yeah, uh, was, I thought he did. He did. He did really good. You know, even when wasn't it Martin? Wasn't it Martinez who the 
the WBC just pretty much stripped him of the title and gave it to Chavez. Was that Martinez? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. No, even even when the WBC are against him and you know giving the belt to Chavez because Sullivan's the godfather of Chavez, I believe. So just pretty much gave him the belt. <laughs> Jesus. Well, what about you, Victor? Do you, do you think he's Hall of Fame worthy? Definitely Hall of Fame worthy. I mean, okay. he's also a huge overachiever in the sport. Like, you don't come in yeah. just starting boxing when you're 19 years old, like no experience prior, and you just like start boxing at 19, and then you end up where he ended up. That's not supposed to happen at all. And his matches are always entertaining to watch. Just because yeah. he always I, looked like he was yeah. about to lose. There was never yeah. a single match where he had where I was thinking there's no way he can lose this. It's always like, oh, he's about to lose. He's definitely about to lose. And then he just ends up just winning every single one of them. It was amazing. <laughs> well, obviously not every single one of them. You know what I mean? Well, you know, I, I watched a few of his fights before the, the Paul Williams fights before, you know, he had his big exposure here in the States or on HBO. Uh, and I, I, I liked him. I loved that kind of herky jerky weird style he has, you know, or had, uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it had a kind of a, it kind of reminded me of Carl Frotch in a way. Um, and I liked Frotch, too, for that reason, because he was kind of awkward. Um, but uh, that I knockout. I liked Frotch. Really? Oh, I love Carl Frotch. Yeah, surprisingly, <laughs> like everyone assumes that I would like Frotch. I think the thing that ruined it for Frotch is that I liked Butte and then he stopped Butte. So I was like, you know what? Fuck this guy. Uh, yeah, no, I was a Butte <laughs> fan, too. But I, I, when that fight happened, I was I expected Frotch to win. Um, so I wasn't too surprised uh, or, or, or let down by that, but that that was pretty good. Um, but once once Martinez had his exposure here and he went on that you know that knockout streak and that where he was just vicious, uh, I think you know, that run he had as middleweight champion of the world is was definitely Hall of Fame worthy. I know that there's people out there that disagree with us. Um, I don't think I don't think Martinez is as, is as special as say a Pacquiao or you know, like, like an Ali or anything like that, but, uh, he right. definitely, I mean, like those things are like super rare. Like, like what, yeah, I yeah, yeah. something that you could argue has never even been done before in boxing. You could right. argue, like, I would disagree with you, but you could argue that he's the best boxer ever. Like I would disagree, but there is a case you can make for, it. it's not a strong case, but you can make an argument. Sure. There. Yeah. I you wouldn't can't disagree make that, that argument for Martinez. <laughs> Yeah, no. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, yeah, and it was you know, it was sad we would talked about earlier about, you know, watching these special or, you know, Hall of Fame fighters in their career too late. I think it was you, Michael, that that said that uh when when I watched Tyson get knocked out by um those last two guys he lost to IR, I don't even remember their names. Like uh, Danny Williams and what was the other one? Ah, oh, shit, I can't remember. Uh but you know, he was on the yeah, something like that. But like he got knocked out, you know, it was it was to watch a guy that used to do what he did, you know, before he went to prison, you know, and 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 all the accomplishments he had he had he had done and the things he had overcome to be what he was uh when he was young and in his prime, it was really sad and it was kind of sad watching Martinez go out not for me because I'm a huge Tyson's my favorite fighter of all time. Uh so it's not to the same degree, but it was it was still really sad to watch Martinez kind of the way he went out against Cotto. I mean, we all expected Cotto to kind of take care of business, especially when, you know, the reports of those injuries and the, you know, all the weakening of Martinez that had been circling around the press and whatnot. But, you know, it sucks to see a guy that that's so good and so strong, you know, end up like that, you know, end his career like that. It's always kind of sad, but I guess, you know, that's, that's part of the sport. Like, uh, uh, Steve Kim of UCN live always says there's no, 
there's very few happy endings in boxings, and they they don't give you gold watches on your way out. They give you beatings. So, you know that's that's true in in you know 98% of the time. But uh, that said, that's also you know, why the Hall of Fame is so important to me, and why it bothers me so much when like random ass fans are just like, oh yeah, because you weren't a perfect fighter, you don't deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. Like the fuck, man. Well, <laughs> all right. Well, bro. let's do this. Let's 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 wrap it up with this one last question, and I'll, I'll let both of you guys answer because we've got less than five minutes. And I'll start with you, Victor. Um, can you name me a fighter of any era that that's in the Hall of Fame that you definitely think doesn't belong in there? And I think doesn't belong in there. Yeah. Um, not offhand, actually. I would have to like look at the Hall of Fame list. Look and I would, like be, yeah. Then it would be easier for me to like pick out somebody. But just off the top of my head, okay. I can't think of anyone. Okay. How about you, Michael? Uh, the same. I think I'd have to. Uh, same. I'd have to look. Uh, to look. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I asked just because Victor had mentioned the you know the fans that oh this guy doesn't belong in there. I honestly I don't have an answer for that one either. I think. Um, I think most of the guys that get in deserve to be in there. I'm sure the vast majority of them do. Um, but I would have to go back. I would have to go and look at a long list of everybody in there and then probably look at, you know, a number of other things, resumes and YouTube and, you know, all of that stuff to, to really nail it down. But, um, I think a a good question for maybe next week's show guys, uh, and you can, why don't we all do that? We'll just keep it in mind to write it down and, uh, at the end of the show next week, uh, let's talk about or try to name just one fighter that we think belongs in the Hall of Fame, but that hasn't been inducted yet. How about that? Yeah, for that one, we'd have to like impose limits on it, though, like somebody okay. like in the past. Like we can't do it too recently, obviously. So Right. Well, yeah. Well, I don't want to span the entire you know, history of the sport. I don't want to go all the way back to the late 1800s, early 1900s. I mean, that's just too much work. I have, I have two jobs and then this and then six kids. And I know oh, you right, guys no, no, no. I'm just saying like, <laughs> we can't pick somebody that's like retired, like super recently. Oh, like okay. Yeah. Like yeah. 10 years and then that like, yeah, yeah. that's the thing for right now. Andre Ward, man. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I vote so no Andre on that Ward one. Gets just, in, I will just so, say Andre Ward oh, doesn't deserve to be in the hall of fame. If they put him in, he's definitely going to get I'll, in. I'll tell you what's going to happen, Victor and Michael. Andre Ward's going to get in and Vladimir Klitschko is the one that's going to be excluded. That's in 2020, yeah, it'll it'll happen. Ward will get the nod, and someone like Klitschko or more deserving, much more deserving, will get excluded for a year or two because of that. It's just there's that, there's, this bull- there's no way that's going to happen. Why would anybody put Ward over Klitschko? Uh, why did anybody do or say the things they said about Ward when he was active, or even that they talk about now? I mean, you know, the guys the guys' best weapons were holding, headbutting, and low blows, and he has somehow. A great, a great number of people think he's a master boxer or a technician. You know what I mean? I, it's I, different than like calling somebody pound for pound number one from a nut shot than to act like they've accomplished <laughs> more in their career than Klitschko. That's I don't think anybody will try to make that jump well, there. I, I hope you're right. But with that said, we'll discuss that next week, uh, and and maybe even more so in the coming weeks. Uh, but with that said, guys, I want to end the show because we've only we've got less than two minutes. Uh, if you like what you heard today, uh, you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash split boxing. Uh, you can follow me on uh, Twitter at at split boxing. Victor on Twitter at at seven five seven Vic, and Michael Shepard at m shep ten on Twitter. Um, that annoying uh, 
lady's voice t- uh, telling us the episode's ending. You can follow us uh, on our splitdboxing.com website, and if you are so inclined to do so, you can support the Greater Split Boxing Network on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash split boxing. So until next week, uh, this has been uh, the Loaded Gloves Boxing Podcast. I am your host, Scott Jarvis, and we will talk to you next week. See ya. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.